Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes, particularly at Halloween, the bottom 100 movies as well. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me for this conversation, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm doing very good. Thank you, Darren. How, 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 how are you getting on? I have to admit, I must have been into computers, this guy, you know? Uh, I just seem like a guy who would be into computers. Um, Yes, we are talking about William Malone's 2002 horror, cyber horror, nightmare, monstrosity movie, um, because it's Halloween, it's spooky season. Um, And joining us for this discussion is the fantastic Diamanda Hagen. How are you, Diamanda? I am very, very fine. I am doing well, although I did watch Fear.com recently, and it was terrible. Yes, I want to ask you this, right? So how this conversation came about is you and I, well, we've kind of, we've interacted on Twitter a couple of times, which feels appropriate for the movie that we're discussing today. Um, but we, yeah. we kind of bounced back and forth. We've had a couple of conversations online. You're somebody who knows horror cinema inside and out. Um, you run, obviously, your YouTube channel, um, Hagen Reviews, as well. And and I I got mentioned in an academic book about about horror, modern horror, Ooh. bafflingly. I haven't got a copy of the book though, so I can't I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> but but like you're you're somebody who knows like your stuff inside and out. So I was like, it would be great to have. It's always great to have somebody on the podcast who knows what they're talking about because myself and Andrew <laughs> don't do have no idea. Um, but I was like, it'd be great to talk to you about a movie. Would you like to talk about a movie? Here's all the movies we haven't covered. And I gave you, I did give you what we call the good list, the list with good <laughs> movies on it that we haven't covered. And I also gave you the bad list. And I think you got back fairly quickly with fear.com, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, although that was only because Jeffrey Combs is in it and he is my favorite actor and... That is all I need to watch a film is Jeffrey Combs. So you are a big William Malone fan because Malone has this recurring relationship with Combs, right? Where the two of them have worked together repeatedly throughout their careers, right? I I wouldn't call myself a William Malone fan. I would say that I've seen three of his films and like one of them is about a third of the way towards decent. <laughs> Do I want to? But ask- Combs does turn up. <laughs> he, he does reliably. Can I ask? Right. So, which of those three is? Was it a quarter of the way towards decent? Was that the metric we used? Uh, about a third of the way. That is the House and Haunted Hill remake. I mean, it's got definite elements that are really good, but it completely devolves into into basically a goth version of uh, Yann de Bont's haunting remake towards the end. Yann yes. de Bont. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, the, the, the bottom 100 is Yander Bont. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm Bont. The, ba- the, like the world to know. Like the haunting, the, the, the haunting, the haunting, the House on a Hill remake, it has some sections which are really, really good. Like there's one of my favorite movie scares of all time is in there. You got this woman going through this, uh, she's in the, this terrible asylum in the basement, walking through, she's filming it. Yeah. And then through the camera, she can see these yeah. guys, you know, Jeffrey Combs as a ghost, vivisecting this this person with some, with some other ghost. But then she puts her camera down and you can see there's nothing there. And it's timed perfectly that the ghosts are only there in the camera and they're there when moving. And then they start looking at her and start interacting. And it's it's all done in camera. She's clearly got a footage of the camera f- film previously, but it's it's done perfectly. And it's like, 
damn William Malone, you managed to do stuff like that, but you know, then you do the rest of your career. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's the thing. I mean, we'll talk about this when we talk about, like, Fear.com, the movie we are ostensibly here to talk about in a moment. But there is kind of, like, I watched for this because I am a sadist, uh, because I feel like subjecting myself to the torture of the doctor or whatever. Um, I did watch House on Haunted Hill to prepare for this, and it's weird how, like... Malone has these weird obsessions that he has that play through his films, like mediated reality. Yeah. And, you know, uh, creepy rubber balls. <laughs> yes. like, and, and like surgery, but without anesthetic. Like it's a very specific set of directorial <laughs> tropes that William Malone has that he just keeps coming back to. It's like Jimmy Screamer Claws and his eyeballs. Yeah, it's it's very much like I have these things that I'm interested in. And what what is it? Is it like Nolan's obsession with time, Spielberg's obsession with absent dads? Like, no, I just really like seeing women getting cut up on gurneys without anesthetics. Like, oh, okay, all right. Um, <laughs> and Jeffrey Rush. And, and, Jeff, and Jeffrey Combs as well. That's <laughs> uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, yeah, no, I was trying to think of Spielberg examples of women getting cut up on, on gurneys without <laughs> anesthetics. There, there are women, women getting cut up on gurneys, but they're like, like uh, uh, dead, right? Um, where, where that would make Hook so much more interesting, because <laughs> the, the Jaws is technically a woman, yes, right? That's, like that's, all, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point, actually. Although to be fair, I don't think it quite reaches the level of directorial obsession. No, no. <laughs> he didn't do the second, third, or fourth one. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, will, will will it be a female shark? <laughs> will yeah. we be cutting it up on a gurney? Um, no. um, but. Can I? That that's actually a very good point. Well done, Andrew. Um, so can I ask? Actually, having like you, you mentioned the reason that you were drawn to Fear.com is as a Jeffrey Combs fan, and myself and Andrew are both. Well, I am a huge Jeffrey Combs fan in large part because I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and obviously yeah. the animator and everything like that as well. Like he's a huge part of kind of my childhood and an actor I'm always glad to see. And then in the modern kids, all like him because of his voice work. You know. Very distinctive, but also very varied voice. Really talented guy. Unfortunately, he tends to gravitate towards bull. <laughs> he, you know, film-wise. He doesn't do... Like, it, it's weird that this is his big creative partnership. It's like, my big creative partnership is William Malone. Um, oh, also well, also Stuart Gordon. Oh, does, oh, does he, work, he, does, he does work with Gordon as well. Yeah, right? he was... Yeah, reanimator from Beyond Castle Freak. Um, I, I think he was... He might have been in something. He was supposed to be in his day gone as well, but that fell through. He was supposed to be in his uh, Dreams in the Witch House as well, and that fell through. But yeah, he's got an off and on thing with, with Stuart Gordon. Yeah. And I mean, it is worth noting that his relationship with Malone does go back to The Exile, which was an episode, a TV episode of Perversions of Science, which is a show that I didn't even know existed until I began researching this podcast. I haven't seen it, but it is a copy of the entire series on YouTube, mm. and I've been meaning to watch it. Okay. All right. Well, then let us know. I'm going. I'm, I'm going to defer to you on that one. Um, one of us is going to venture into that. Can I ask? Was it your love of Jeffrey Gomes that brought you to Fear.com originally, or did you encounter it in the wild? Did you see it on original release? How did you first see the movie we're talking about today? Um, if I recall correctly, it was around the time it came out, and I was informed that the film existed, and it was just really, really terrible. And I think I'd probably seen the House and Hotel remake a couple of years earlier, and so that was vague interest. Um, I saw it at some point after that, and then basically I forgot about it until I saw it in the list. <laughs> and then I watched it last week, because I thought we were doing this last week, and 
So then I watched it for that. And again, it sort of evacuated my mind, which is probably the most greatest blessing I've got that I cannot retain this film. I can retain the basics of it, but that's about it. It is wonderful. <laughs> you are perhaps living a blissed existence compared to at least myself and Andrew, to be fair. Um, a blessed existence. But I don't know yet whether it's going to stay in my mind because I've literally <laughs> just finished watching it. Because yeah. the plan was to watch it last night. And then I got like about 15 minutes in. And I was like, all right, that's enough. I, 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 can, I can pick this up tomorrow. So then it was like during lunchtime watching again, like a little, like part of it. <laughs> Going back to work, finishing work and, and being like, okay, no, I, I, I can finish this. Um, and, and then not finishing it. Then going for a drive and coming back and watching, watching the final like 10 or 15 minutes. So I, 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 it's always a sign of a good, uh, yeah. Good movie. Sorry. I started watching it on my phone as well. <laughs> it's like, it um, be watched. Um. yeah, yeah. It's like the time someone we should, did. <laughs> someone should buy fear.com, the actual URL, and just stream it constantly there. You, you know this story, by the way, do you? I know that they tried to buy the rights for fear.com to put it in the film and they couldn't. That's why they had fear.com as a word in the film and it looks like they didn't know what usbs were yeah it's like yeah they meant to buy fear.com but the people who own that domain would not sell it for any amount of money which i have to imagine is just within the budget of the film so in the website you'll notice that the characters have to type the word fear.com f-e-a-r-d-o-t-c-o-m and then dot c-o-m at the end so it's fear.com.com did they try to buy... <laughs> Sorry. It's funny, but it's also realistic because, you know, if someone was going to come up with a crazy, you know, serial killing website that murdered people, you know, the they would... Someone else with the URL that they want would already have it and, you know, they wouldn't be able to get it. So this is this makes it weirdly realistic. Yeah, it's the big tech companies kind of ruin it for, for all the kind of serial killers the out there. Low tech entrepreneurs, um, yeah. Yeah, just kind of parking on those... Um, <laughs> A, a great like it's the next unicorn <laughs> is fear.com we just don't know what it is yet did they try to buy fear.com <laughs> Yeah, um, fear. <laughs> as well. Fear.org <laughs> wasn't quite as compelling fear.co.uk unfortunately uh, or yeah. fear.gov I mean, like, that, I feel like that's what the movie <laughs> it's that biz presumably yeah, fear.biz like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what the movie's missing it's it's without i mean the movie doesn't bother concealing the identity of its serial killer it is the character of Pratt played by Stephen ria and we'll come back to that but it, i'm disappointed that there aren't a solid five minutes of Stephen ria on the phone trying to register fear.com in his highly highly questionable american accent <laughs> i feel I like spent... we <laughs> sorry no, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I feel like we are at an advantage because we, we're going to hear Stephen Rea and even if he's doing a bad American accent, we'll know. <laughs> we'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, that's Stephen Rea. Um, I spent half the film trying to remember who he was because all I was thinking was, Jeffrey Combs really should be playing the villain. Who the f*** is this guy? <laughs> I recognize him. He sounds like someone familiar. What the f*** is going on? And... I can't remember who he sounded like until I realized who it was, but I can't remember who he sounded like because I've forgotten most of the film. Um, like it, it, now, apparently, according to Malone, the part was written specifically for Rhea, but I'm watching it and I'm really... Why? Think 
I can't, only William Malone can answer that question, unfortunately. Um, but apparently he'd been a huge fan of Rio and decided that this was how he Rightly was so. Yeah. I mean, the, the, um, I, I, I would, I would say that, that I'm in the, in the same camp. Like if I were making movies, especially like these days, I feel like Stephen Rea, and I think I feel like I've, I've said this on the podcast before, whenever he was in something, was he in something? But he's I always feel like, why is it? Exactly. Just he's in two, V for Vendetta. Two or three years after this, I think. And I always yeah. feel like, why isn't he in more stuff? Um, oh, Stephen Ray, he's good. I wasn't complaining about him per se. No. I was complaining that they got Jeffrey Combs, who has a proven track record of playing creepy bastards. And they and then they, they give it to Stephen Ray instead. And they put Jeffrey Combs in as a nondescript disheveled cop. Yeah. He's like, a kind of a bastard, though. Right? It's like, like he's a. It's, it's like his bitten Faust love of the damned, where Andrew Divoff is playing the satanic villain, and Jeffrey Combs is just playing this lone wolf cop. Who, they, but at least the cop at party plays in Faust Love of the Damned turns into a satanist <laughs> for some reason, and you know shaves himself, covers himself in mud, gets naked, and vomits up snakes. You know, fair enough. At the end, he he becomes right. a Combs character. <laughs> But in this one, he's just like, I'm Jeffrey Combs and I'm being hard ass. Uh, I'm dead. <laughs> he, he, and, but we don't know. We don't, uh, I, I, I guess we, we don't want to reveal too much about the end of the movie, but we don't know that Uh-oh. that thing <laughs> that happens at the end of the movie that we don't know whether it was Stephen Rea who did that. It, it could have been, been yeah, Combs. suicide. Been Sykes himself. Could, yeah. He could have, he could have had a could, psych yeah. episode. Um, that is a, a very dedicated way to commit suicide. It's very elaborate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I was watching it though, and part of me was thinking, like, he says he wrote this for Rhea, but part of me is like, did he write it for Rush coming out of, obviously, you mentioned The Haunting of Hill House, um, which is notable for being marginally better than John Dubont's The Haunting. Like, that is its crowning accomplishment. It is not as yeah. if the hat. Rush. Jeffrey Rush, sorry. Yeah. yeah. He's, yeah. he's in that. I, he would have been good t- too, I think. Like, um, I mean, I think Malone himself has said how insane it is that he had an Oscar winner in The Haunting of Hill House, which is great when your director says that. It's like, I can't believe he's doing this. I can't believe he agreed to be in this movie we made. Jeffrey Rush, apparently he really wanted to be in it. He he was really looking forward to it. And, you know, everyone assumed he was doing a Vincent Price impression, but he was actually doing an impression of John Waters because he just wanted to be in it. And he was just like, this is hilarious. I love this. <laughs> um, and also like doing William Castle as well. It is a Dark Castle production of a William Castle movie, but it's very clear that the Rush character is also William Castle as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of, again, that movie should be much better than it is. Um, but we are talking about Fear.com, a movie that three of us cannot remember, despite having just watched this. I, We're definitely talking about it. We definitely absolutely are. The, sorry. Oh, sorry. The interesting thing about, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you had this raft of internet-based horror films. And yes. they were uniformly, <laughs> except for one, terrible. The one that was not terrible is Cairo, the Japanese film. It is a masterpiece of horror. I've never that is possibly the best Japanese horror film I've ever seen, and I'm a f-ing Ringu stan. But Cairo is that? But um, Cairo, yeah, it was remade in America under the name Pulse, which is terrible. Ah, okay, yes, yes, I am familiar with the Pulse. Japanese version. Yeah, the Japanese version is poetry and unnerving wonder. It is amazing. Cairo. The American one, not so much. It's Cairo with a K. The um, 
But I have this theory that a generation who finds the internet novel cannot, yeah. or very, they find it very difficult to make a horror film out of it, simply yes. because it is a novel, it is interesting, therefore it's not something mundane that you can make threatening. It's going to be, when they try to make it horrible and scary, they're going to make it over the top and ridiculous, because to them, on some level, it is still a no- no- novel, while the generation who are now becoming adult filmmakers, having grown up with the internet, I expect them to come up with really good internet-based horror films because they've been seeped in it their entire life. In the same way that hmm. it took someone who grew up with VHS to make Ring. Yeah, it's 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 kind of... The, the, the bottom 100... Um, like, IMDb voters really go after movies like this. Um, because internet people, I think, they don't like movies that misunderstand the internet yeah that that is or stuff, disrespect stuff superheroes like, yes yeah <laughs> yeah that's the other thing but stuff like this lawnmower man too yes which is um awesome. and i guess slender man as well yeah. they take these sorts of um uh it's kind of like what's hot what are the kids kind of like in, into? What are we afraid of? The emoji of? And, movie, and don't, yeah. and, and, and don't kind of say, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But um, yeah. no, the um, and yeah, the the where where the emoji movie is is a kind of a horror movie about in um, an existential sense, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Jordan Peele thought so. Yeah, well, that, that, we, I think we, yeah that we talked about that. That was what inspired him to become a director. He was offered the part of the poop emoji, and he was like, "I don't think I want to do this." His agent's like, "Take a day, think about it." He takes a day. He comes back and he goes, "I've thought about it," and I said, "Yes." And it's well too late. They're going with Patrick Stewart, uh, and that was the moment where Jordan Peele was like, "Okay, I'm I'm becoming a director. There is no other choice." <laughs> Um, but you're right, actually, like to, to put this in, nope. its, in, in its in its historical context, like even just in terms of like American European cinema, um, obviously, like you have this is one of the early ones in terms of Internet horrors. Uh, I mean, you could argue that Ringu is also kind of about the Internet as much as about VHS. But like you have Untraceable in 2008 is another big example, the infamous Diane Lane Colin Hanks vehicle. Um, then it isn't until like 2014 you get unfriended 2016 you get friend request which is i believe the movie that caused andrew to stop coming to media previews with me um if i remember correctly um, that was the movie that was so bad andrew's like i don't care if it's free I think sausage party was after that okay oh uh, i think we might have been to a few uh, media previews after that okay. just none none lately <laughs> I have an honorary uh, thing to mention about this, though. The Internet Horrors. There's a film that came out years before Fear. You know, you um, came out years and years ago. Actually, it came out after Fear.com, but it came out bef- well before Unfriended. It's called The Collinswood Haunting Massacre, something like that. It's definitely Collinswood or Collingswood. And it is uh, a horror film entirely done on friended style on, uh, you know, your desktop or your computer using various programs. There's a name that they have for that. It's like a screen friend or so. It's like that. there's a genre that they specifically use to describe that. I'm trying. I'll, I'll dig out the term now. Is this where things pop up on the screen? Like no. It's like you're watching a laptop. Right. Screen life. Sorry. Screen life. It's invented this genre like five six maybe maybe as much as 10 years before unfriended came out and no one paid attention to it. i have a copy of it and it's terrible <laughs> but it is a piece of cinema history that's that they invented this and no one noticed 
It's a bit like that UFO film, the McPherson tape, which uh, basically became the first true uh, found footage film. At least I think it was, I think that was the first one. The, you know, it was made in like the early 80s by some, by on low budget by like a small group of people. There's elements of, there's elements of that kind of found footage um, in this as well. So it's, 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 it's kind of like in a, in, in a couple of different horror oh. camps. Oh, it's in every horror camp. Like I, I we'll get yeah. to it when yeah. we talk about it. Like one of my big notes is what is this <laughs> question mark? And yeah, it's also <laughs> kind of a nineties kind of um, serial killer movie uh, serial and like late nineties yeah. ghost, like the, the kind of like the ghost revival that you got with like house on haunted hill. You got with the haunting, you got with the sixth sense, you got with stir of echoes, you got with the others. Like it's, it's every kind of hot horror topic they could think of jammed together hmm. uh, in a way that I don't, in a Marilyn Manson music video. Yes, that's exactly it. Maloney wanted to be a music video director. I think it's yeah. pretty clear from his films that he, on some level, really wanted to be doing industrial metal music videos. Pretty much, yeah. yeah well, I mean, he, he did start out, I believe he's, one of his claims to fame is that he designed the Michael Myers mask. Or he designed, he re-sculpted the William Shatner mold that became the Michael Myers mask. Is apparently his big claim to fame, which is pretty cool as well. Oh, that is interesting. Malone kind of got into direction in the kind of 70s and 80s. He directed a TV movie, Holmes and Walston. Uh, he directed Scared to Death. And he also directed Creature, which I haven't seen it from the looks of it appears to be an alien knockoff. Uh, the sets very much look like alien. I believe it was called titan find internationally and then he kind of branched out he did a lot of tv so he did like episodes of freddy's nightmares dark justice tales in the crypt and we mentioned perversions of science the big easy honey i shrunk the kids the tv <laughs> show sleepwalkers all that sort of stuff but by his own account he only really would argue that his directorial career began uh with house on haunted hill that's kind of for william alone that's where william malone uh, as a director actually starts he doesn't count his kind of early films. Mm. Then Fear.com, as one might imagine, something of a career killer for him. Um, and yeah. he only got another one other bite of the apple after that as well. Oh, that was the Dennis Quaid one uh, on the Generation Ship. I forget the name of it. Parasomnia, per- isn't I, that the one? Am I that the one I'm thinking? Parasomnia? Yeah, I think that's the name of the film. I, I, I hope I'm not mixing it with another terrible film that came out at the same time. But uh, yeah, I think that's that, that one. It's like a sci-fi horror film on a, on a Generation Ship. Oh, oh yeah, that that's the one with uh, Ben Foster, isn't it? Ben Foster. It's. Uh, Pandorum, I think it's Pandorum. Yeah, that's the one I'm. Th- yeah, Parasomnia is, and, and I have it open here. It is a horror thriller centered on a woman, um, played by Wilson, and there's no Wilson credited in the headline cast, which is always a good sign. Uh, suffering oh, from really? a medical condition that causes her to sleep her life away, waking briefly on rare occasions, starring Sean Young, Patrick Kilpatrick, ah, good old Patrick Kilpatrick, and Dwayne M. Nice. Okay, well, they could be the same film, or you know, if I got a head injury. <laughs> Basically <laughs> the same film. Um, and what's, again, worth noting just, again, just to contextualize and to put Fear.com, like, in context. Um, here's, here's how Malone kind of describes how he ended up uh, directing Fear.com. The guy who produced Titanfind called me up and said, I want you to come and do this movie called Fear.com. I said, I hate the title. I don't want to do a movie called Fear.com. He told me what the story was, and I said, well, there could be something interesting in that. So I said I would make it, as long as he didn't call it Fear.com. <laughs> we then got it up and running, and he suggested we go to Luxembourg to shoot. 
which I thought was kind of an odd choice because the movie was supposed to take place in New York. Of course, the producer's telling me that Luxembourg looks exactly like New York, and I'm going, I don't think so. He says, come over, take a look, you'll see it's exactly like New York. So we got there, and of course it didn't look anything like New York, so we ended up having to build all the sets to make it look right. But you never get it exactly right, because they don't have all the little details in them. So it turned out to be a weird take on New York, rather than being New York. And that feels like a, a something that explains a lot about Fear.com, I think, in terms of production. I'll do it as long as you don't call it that. We're going to call it that. Okay. I'll do it if we can shoot in location in New York. We're shooting in Luxembourg. Okay. Um, it does really... There's some of it in Canada, too, I think. Like uh, Quebec, yeah. Montreal. Yeah, Montreal, I think they use for exteriors, to be fair. And I do think that, yeah, there's some casting in Germany as well. A lot of the... Um, American no. uh, character. <laughs> no, shocking. Right? <laughs> they could have just filmed the Milton Keynes like Superman 4. Yeah, that's it, exactly. Uh, also worth noting, just in terms of, we mentioned internet horror as well. 2002 was something of a boom year for it. You had uh, Mark Evans' My Little Lie, uh, which is a horror film notable for starring Bradley Cooper uh, and has been completely forgotten by history, which is basically what if the Big Brother house was a slasher movie. Uh, and Olivier Assayas' uh, Demon Lover. Uh, which is kind of a more highfalutin European art house take on what if the internet was evil as well. So there is something kind of in the air at that moment. Also, uh, Halloween 8. Oh, you're right. H2O. Sorry, no, Resurrection. Resurrection, isn't it? Am I right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, which is, yes, Buster Rhymes roundhouse kicking Michael Myers. Yes. Hell, uh, Hellraiser Hellworld. Oh, is that around this time as well? Oh, okay. I think so, yeah. Yes, there is something in the atmosphere just kind of like absorbing. It's, it's just after the dot-com boom. Internet is everywhere. Hollywood and, and you know, Hollywood and sh their schlockier, cheaper cousins are like, you know, just trying to get on the bandwagon. It You know, it ha it's just the zeitgeist of the time in the same way that fascism was there for in the 30s. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just like I that. And, but no, I mean, and also, yeah, that is a statement that ages very well when we jump now to like 2020, where it's like, what if both of those things were just in the air yeah. continuously and uh, interlinked? I am aware of how close we're getting to the 30s again. You know, <laughs> I'm being clever. I'm future-proofing this interview. Um, or this discussion. Um, all right. So before we jump into the spoiler zone, before we talk about the movie in, in complete depth with spoilers, um, three questions to get us started. So, Demanda, do you think Fear.com is one of the 100 worst movies ever made. I would say no, simply because there are a lot of films that are made and 90% of them are terrible. Uh, and, and, you know, I haven't seen all of them, so I, I would say objectively no. However, I, I also feel like I, I can't really make that di uh, distinction because I can't remember the thing. I just remember it was bad. <laughs> And you, you've watched it twice. You've like you've seen it at least at twice. Least twice, and you're like possibly more, and repressed those as well. Um, yes, <laughs> um, I, I like that. Um, so, so not not maybe the worst film ever made, but also not a memorable film. To be clear, yeah, that's a, you know I review. I like to review weird and bad films, and the films that are bad and boring and unmemorable, they are the worst. Uh, not objectively the worst. They're just the worst, I feel, for, for making entertainment out of or for finding something of worth to say about them. But objectively, ones that make that cause you mental and physical pain are worse 
but you know they also linger in the mind they do they they stay with you and haunt you and you wake up thinking about them i don't think i'm ever going to think about fear.com after we finish this conversation i i watched a seven and a half hour german language extreme art house film that were you know from the 70s that tried to explain hitler and you know that felt shorter than fear.com <laughs> um I, yeah, yeah. I, we we have an experience like that coming up where I watched like all of Richard Kelly's filmography and it still felt shorter than the <laughs> 80 minutes that I watched of S. Darko. Um, but Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think this is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? No, I don't. I don't. I, I, I think there's plenty in this movie that is done well. I think Diamanda's point about um, the music video is astute. This is very 2000s. What's that aesthetic? We had a guest, Billie Jean um, Doheny, oh. who talked about it, where it has that. Well, it, it's like new metal. Yeah. It's, is, um, is this that? It's like the, the own, well, no, it's like Ramstein kind of industrial metal, sort of like early 2000s. There's a lot of color grading going on as well, yeah. because not long before with the Coen Brothers film, My Brother Where Art Thou, they invented digital color grading. And then so about for the next 10 years after that, people were messing around with it like crazy, not even in art, just in films that should look visually distinctive. Just random films had really weird color grading because they could. And this is that's lots in there. So everything's sort of bluish, greeny, but, you know, it it looks weird color-wise. I mean, this also, like, has a bit of that kind of, like, the, the, the shine or the stink of the Matrix on it as well, where you can tell yeah. that whoever was producing it was like, yeah, it should look like that as well, but without the skill or craft yeah. that you get from, like, Bill Pope cinematography and stuff like that. Um, and obviously, like, Seven as well is a big cultural touchstone here as well. But again, without Fincher's eye for, like, making it look pretty as well as looking grotty and making it look kind of, like, distinctive as well as looking just kind of grey and smudged and blurred. Yeah, no, no. I, like, like it's it's quite, it's certainly very um, uh, derivative, but um, there is some good stuff there. I mean, the, the, the um, I think Stephen Rea is maybe decent in it. I do actually. I, I'm I'm kind of not sure whether that is a spoiler. I think there might be. Um, <laughs> um, uh, somebody is in this and he's good. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I. I. I kind of had it in little small uh portions and i think it was uh, kind of doable um <laughs> which, is, I, um, which is exactly what you want from a movie i can get to the end of it it's it's a it's completable yeah, yeah. <laughs> wasn't a, it's not a complete slog if you if you split it up into four bits <laughs> and go um, for a drive in the middle of one of them yeah the way it's intended <laughs> to be seen um the w- the way the filmmaker would have intended for it to have to have been not called fear.com um not filmed in luxembourg and watched in four parts um yeah, I've I've watched a couple of films where I just stop watching it after 25 minutes and, uh, you know, have an emotional breakdown and then start again. And definitely not the case with Fear.com. Uh, 
which yeah i i how i watched it was kind of similar as well now in my defense i've had a frantically busy week but i did when we were talking to the amanda over uh, like arranging this i would point out it took me three whole nights to watch this movie and a large part of that was that like <laughs> i came in i'd after like i'd been at a, a movie or whatever i'd done a review or whatever i'd done like work for the day and then done movie stuff on top of it and it's like then i have to watch this on top of it and as andrew said i kind of get half an hour in and i'm like no i just can't I, I, I need my body needs sleep my body can't i can't put myself through this which is an interesting reaction to have exactly because i guess it's it's a mixture of like it not being very good but also like um you know it it, it is a uh, um gruesome if you're in like a vulnerable psychological state there's there's plenty of kind of like viscera blood um, sexual imagery. violence yeah. and yeah yeah that sort of stuff so it's not like pleasant and it's not intended to be in fairness to it. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of wasn't in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Halloween, kids. Um, <laughs> so, and Jimondo, sorry, were you going to say something? We cut you off there. Um, oh, no, I, I, I probably was going to say something, but I have completely forgotten it because, you know, possibly it's not just Fear.com that I have memory problems about. <laughs> because it, it was related to Fear.com. It's kind of contagious. Yeah. It's not just, You don't just forget Fear.com. You forget your thoughts related to Fear.com. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, it is violent and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. But I, I, think, I think my... Uh, idea of what's normal on that level has completely been slightly warped because you know if you look at the films i've reviewed uh they are they tend to be much worse than that so as far as i i don't even think of it as being particularly violent or unpleasant because you know i've seen so much worse right but for yeah for an average viewer yeah probably yeah but for me i'm just like <laughs> oh it's tuesday <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, for myself probably not like this is one of the weird things i don't want anybody to think that i'm saying this this is good we'll get to that in a moment i think this is interesting and i think this has elements in it that isolated from other elements in it including most of the movie around it merit discussion <laughs> and are worth unpacking um and i think that like that's enough for me that it's not one of the worst 100 movies ever made i think it's doing stuff it is doing stuff very badly very derivatively very unfocusedly and like without any clear purpose and without necessarily the craft to pull off what it's attempting but it is attempting interesting things and i tend to cut movies a lot of slack when they do that i think like as as jimanda said like the worst of these movies are the ones that you sit through and they they just feel interminable and they become like black holes, kind of voids in your soul and in your schedule and your time. Um, and I think there was enough here that I was kind of latching on to, whether as a cultural artifact or as a snapshot of a moment that I was like, yeah, I, I, you know, this is not the worst movie ever made. There is something in here that kind of merits discussion. Um, sorry, Andrew. Do you... No, no, I was yawning. <laughs> <laughs> Even talking about fear.com uh, is the same reaction. Sorry, I um, picked a bad week to give up coffee. <laughs> do you want, like, okay, here's here's Ebert's two-star review of fear.com. Just a quick snippet of it. Like, Ebert has become, like, the patron saint of the bottom 100, where he will rave about how much he loves Speed 2 Cruise Control. Um, and here's just the, <laughs> the opening paragraph of it. I want to come back to, he talks about the climax of the movie, and we might come back to that when we talk about the movie with spoilers. But just the opening paragraph. Strange how good Fear.com is. And how bad. The screenplay is a mess. 
And yet the visuals are so creative, this is one of the rare bad movies you might actually want to see. The plot is a bewildering jumble of half-baked ideas, from which we gather just enough of a glimmer about story to understand how it is shot through with contradictions and paradoxes. And yet I watched in admiration as a self-contained nightmare formed with the visuals. Not many movies know how to do this. I'll get to the plot later, or maybe never. Let me talk about what I liked. Um, that's Ebert uh, kind of like... I, I, I'm sympathetic to that review. Yeah. So, like, like I'll have nightmares, and I'll also have, like, waking nightmares, where I'm awake and, I, and there are still things that I kind of, like, see. Or I'll be awake and all of a sudden I'll, I'll, I'll like, if, if I'm very, 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 very tired, or if I'm having a fever, or for some, like, physical reason, I'll see something that's not there. And it's generally a, a, a frightening experience, and sometimes it's like a, a, a like a you know, um, one frightening image after another, like, um, uh, and you can't kind of like stop it. And this movie kind of captures that sort of um, uh, feeling quite well. Yeah, um, I think. I mean, so did they? I, I'm, I'm, I am sympathetic to to um ebert's review because it's capturing something um well enough that 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 is frightening and kind of like relatable for some people as an experiment i really wish that someone had given william maloney a good script just to see what happened yeah exactly yeah Kind of like uh, Tarzan Singh. I mean, The Fall, it's like that's his best film, like by accident, because it's the only one with a script that's not absolutely terrible. But like, but his visuals are always amazing, regardless of how terrible the script is. So I'd love to see, you know, just what happens with someone who's clearly got an interesting visual eye, but who doesn't seem to understand the difference between a good and a bad script. No, and he's probably not a, an actor's director either. There, there's there's a lot of this when you're looking and you've seen people be good in things and you're kind of thinking, oh, give them another take. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, where, um, or maybe the, give them some direction. Are... Yeah, Faster, yeah. Faster, more intense. <laughs> <laughs> more, I tell you, more. Well, I actually have a quick paragraph on like William Malone directing actors, if you want. If you want to know what his directorial style is when it comes to directing actors. Yeah. I always look for actors who can adapt their performances and can change into the character. Jeff Combs is one of those actors. He always gives you something unexpected and wonderful. If an actor comes in and is perfect for the part, but then you ask them to do something different, but they can only give you that one take on the character, I probably won't use them. I would rather have an over-the-top actor, because you can always pull them back. I'm always looking for as natural a performance as possible. <laughs> That's apparently how he approaches the art of directing. I do also like, I'm not going to hire the guy, the person who does it perfect. That's just philosophically, <laughs> the person who comes in and nails the audition, not going to hire them. But but who 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 can't heighten who can't heighten it? Who can't give me more? Yeah, kind of reminds me of the the thing where you've got you take two people, one person who's you know trained a lot, one person who's got a lot of natural talent. You take the person who's not as good but has more 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 natural talent. You 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 back them instead of the person who's trained a lot. It's the same kind of approach. It's you know you can 
if someone's quote unquote perfect, yes, but then you can, uh, you can, the other person can get be perfect as well, but they can also do something else if you decide later on you want something else. Yeah. So I think it's a valid philosophy for choosing an actor. Um, unfortunately, it often doesn't result in very good performances. Yes, because you very much need to have a very tight control over that as well. Like, that's the kind of thing that you hear with, like, Fincher and Kubrick and all those directors, uh, or anybody directing Jim Carrey, where it's like, the way you get a good performance is that you basically beat them into submission. You keep oh, filming them, that, sorry. That, that reminds me, yeah, of Dr. Strangelove, um, what do you call it, um, I forget his character, the George, George C. Scott. George C. Scott's yeah. character, yeah, how they, they kept telling, Kubrick told Scott that they were doing practice <laughs> takes, and then that is to do over yeah. the top, and then they do the normal ones. And uh, then they use the over-the-top ones. It's, yeah, directing, uh, I imagine at least part of it is, well, maybe 20% of it, is just tricking actors into getting what you want, even if they don't want to do it. I mean, just 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 do it once. We're not, it's not like we're going to use it or anything. Just like, you know, have, 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 have some fun with it. Go a little bit crazy. Or how um how they got the subdued performance uh, in Wrath of Khan out of William yes. Shatner. They... <laughs> They did extra takes, and he was just, he was out of energy. <laughs> and they used those. I think yeah. I think we talk about we talk about the Truman Show. Like there's a there's a like a wide shot of Jim Carrey mowing the lawn right in that movie. And according to Peter Weir, the director, that took six hours to get wide shot of Jim Carrey mowing the lawn because he couldn't get Carrey to like calm down and not do anything absurd. And if you watch that, Carrey is still like throwing his body around. He's still flailing and he's still very loose. But like, it's kind of amazing. It's like six hours and we got this one wide shot of him mowing the lawn like a normal person. That's how long it took to break Jim Carrey down. Which is kind of amazing. I, w- so. I would love to live in a parallel universe where Jim Carrey worked for Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> the stories would have been amazing. Um, can you, like, they would never release a movie. It would take like 20 years before they released <laughs> a movie that they were happy with together. That's normal for Kubrick, yeah, though. Yeah, that is fair. We were reaching that point where if he hadn't have died making, um, like, the Eyes if Wide he, Shot, we'd be if expecting they started his- making. <laughs> if they started making it around the time of In Living Colour. <laughs> Like they'd be finished maybe now. Yeah. We'd have a first cut of a trailer. Um, and and so, Divanda, like, is this one of the worst 100 movies you have ever seen? As somebody who's kind of, like, familiar with this, this schlock who kind of, like, wades into this genre and this area, how does this fall in that spectrum for you? I would say probably because the films that are much, much worse than that tend to be very memorable, but there's not a huge amount of them. Because I've seen so many terrible films... It really skews my perception of what's good and what's bad. So it's hard to tell, but I would say probably, but I might argue with myself later on. And and Andrew, what about yourself? Is this one of the worst 100 movies you've ever seen? Um, Probably not. No, I, 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 I think it might not be. I, it, I feel like I, I, like the reasons it's on the bottom 100 are not to do necessarily with how bad it is. I think the reason it's on is because it has a far-fetched concept. And it's about the internet, as you said. And it's about the internet. And, like, the internet hates movies about itself. 
Um, yeah, but uh, like without revealing kind of what the what the what the actual concept of the movie is, I think And there are um, several concepts overlapping yeah, and competing. <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't think it's so outlandish as far as horror movie concepts go. Like 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 the 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 classic horror movies have some um, pretty uh, far out pretty ideas. strange jumps of of logic, yeah. yeah. Even though, like the uh, Jaw sequels, yes. And they're obviously they're they're not successful. They are on the bottom one hundred as well, though. Like yeah, the idea of all of those movies is that 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 somehow. Um, like there there is kind ancestral of like memory of or, sharks or. or, or yeah, or M- M- Moby Dick, I guess, <laughs> to take like an <laughs> earlier example. Which is yeah. totally in the conversation. I love that there's a line we're charting from Moby Dick to the Jaws sequels to Fear.com. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, but it, that that people think like, oh, this is really silly. But yeah. it, it's it's kind of like, it's silly because it's about something that you're kind of... Passionate about yeah. it. Like, if you're voting on the IMDb... <laughs> You've bought into this internet thing. You're probably also like... Yeah, exactly, yeah. It is unfair to put it into the bottom of the 100 of the IMDb, but the thing is, that's like a self-selecting group of yeah. people who are mm. A, and nerds, uh, you yes. know, who will be on the, on the IMDb, but also people who generally... Less people will have seen a lot of the much worse stuff yeah you know the, the yeah. really obscure stuff like i watched an evangelical you know thriller about snuff porn and it was arranged and it should be on the bottom 100 it's called remake i did a review of it it's probably my best review but it the film <laughs> is in is insane it should be in the, in the thing but it is way too obscure for that the amazing thing about that film is that you've got three main audiences. You've got general audiences who will hate it because it was made for about 20p. You've got the you've got evangelical audience who will hate it because about 20% of it is people doing anti, you know very graphic anti-porn lectures or murdering people. And then you've got the last bit audience, which is apparently the people who would watch watch this film, which is me. And you know. <laughs> This is the film that I had to stop watching every 25 minutes because, you know, to have a breakdown. Oh, that was the one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even because it's horrific. It is, the violence is nowhere near as, as graphic as most films. It's just, it's such a weird mix of anti-porn talking points and graphic violence for an evangelical film and very low-budget filmmaking. And mm. it is crazy. I, more people should have, you know, I, I suggest, I heartily suggest everyone try to find a copy. It's hard to find. What's it called again? It's a remake? Remake. It's just called Remake. And it's by remake. a guy called, the director was a guy called. I can't find it on IMDb. I'm actually searching for it and I'm bringing up like, it's bringing up a Slovenian movie. <laughs> the director was called Doug Phillips. And mm-hmm. he also did a film called Voyage to the uh, Something Pink Planet which was terrible as well, but it was his take on 1950s sci-fi. I mean, the, the guy has a lot of passion for filmmaking, and I, I, I always find his films interesting, but not good. Ah, okay, yes. Only 27 people have voted on IMDb on Remake. Right. This is the one about Pastor so- Carl. Carl Slayton's daughter is kidnapped by the snuff filmmaker Twitch. Yes. That's a sentence. That's quite a sentence. <laughs> Hilariously, the guy playing Twitch, he's a guy called Joel 
his, his surname escapes me, but he's actually... A Thingval. Thingval, yes. Yep. He wor- his day job, apparently, according to the internet, is that he works for Marvel, Marvel Studios as one of their in-house historians for comics. Ah, wow. Yeah, he's apparently also in uh, Winter Soldier, but I never, I never saw him. He's in the winter. <laughs> apparently, he's in the museum scene. Never found him. Okay. Uh, and the, the the daughter goes missing, and you know is kidnapped by the the snuff movie maker. Is called Megan. So you know you've got lead-ins there for the the film Megan is missing, which is one of the most horrific uh, found footage films I have ever seen. <laughs> I'd imagine to be on the bottom one hundred, it would need to generate a lot of controversy. Yes. As if that it would, it would need to be like on a news channel where it's like this this is this is where society is that this is a movie right now and isn't 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 this terrible? But they're also like making more people aware of the movie. Yeah, like I I imagine yeah. kind of like those uh, that pro Erdogan movie on the bottom one hundred. Like um, you know the this it's just kind of like a rag to a, a, a bull. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny that you mention that that kind of controversy thing because I mean, I would argue, and I have nothing to back this up aside from the fact that I'm a very sad person who like watches IMDb almost religiously. <laughs> but I think that you can argue that IMDb is becoming a little smarter about that stuff when it comes to American or American-centric controversies at the very least, where you have like Cuties, the, the whole big controversy over Cuties where it came out and it was targeted by right-wing trolls who accused it of being child pornography when in fact it was very much against the sexualization of young women in modern culture or modern Western culture. And and that has a, like a 3.5 rating on IMDb with like 30,000 votes, which should theoretically be enough to get it on the bottom 100, but it has never shown up there. And again, similarly, you could argue something happened with Gully, where its greatest crime is starring like Amber Heard at a point in time when the internet has decided that Amber Heard is the worst person in the world for reasons that we don't need to go into, but which are tied into the whole idea of how lists like this are just generally terrible for gauging mob mentality. Uh, but like Gully is a movie that's it's like 1.9 out of 10 on IMDb uh, and like one is the lowest you can rate a movie 19,000 votes stars a bunch of promising young actors like Calvin Harrison Charlie Plummer um, and like it it should be on the list and it was on the list very very briefly but it disappeared uh, quite quickly from it suggesting that there is some sort of editorial oversight happening like you know again I can't prove it but it does seem like IMDb is at least kind of keeping its pulse uh, on, on that sort of stuff, at least for American audiences. Yeah, like you've got the people, a lot of people who think The Room is the worst film ever made. And I'm like, The Room is entertaining, but dear God, watch more films. <laughs> I, I, I like that that's the flip side of the argument. Like you think The Dark Knight is the best movie ever made. It's like... <laughs> no, yeah, the, that like the, 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 the Room is so enjoyable. Um, because of how bad it is yeah. but it's also not it, it's it's not really kind of um it's it's all about that guy yeah. <laughs> yeah um and and it's it's not like really having a go as um uh like anything other groups of people it's it's just his kind of like vanity project um, yeah. So it's kind of not objectionable. It's like Birdemic. It's like appearing into the brain of somebody. It's like letting yeah. you see through somebody else's eyes. And oh, what 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 sight <laughs> we have for you? Yeah, it's um, it's outsider art. You know, the yeah. Kind of, right. that, yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, and that'll lead into the third part of the thing because I thought about this. 
the third question that we're about to ask. Yes. Um, what was I? Uh, so, uh, and for myself, no, I do not think that this is. And sorry, Andrew, did I ask you if you thought this was on the worst 100? I see you forget about conversations involving fear.com <laughs> as you have. <laughs> I, 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 I don't. I don't. I, they, well, I like it. It. No, I, 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 I really don't. The question is, like, do, do I, do I bring it to Bad Movie Island? And I think I yeah. maybe don't. But then again, I'm not a horror movie fan. Um, yeah. I, I never feel the need to like scare myself. <laughs> it's like, why would I do that? <laughs> you know? um, uh, Aren't you the one pushing for a whole day of Chucky films? <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's fun that he's like, I like puppets. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Plus the Chucky movies. Um, they're really the longer they go on they're basically camp and they, yeah. you know, that's more that's just don mancini being don mancini it's like <laughs> they ha they haven't been proper horror films in a long time except there was you know there was arguably i think it was curse of chucky the one before the, the asylum where they tried yes. to be a horror film again but yeah the and that's the, that's the you know the, the child's place franchise is the I, as far as i'm concerned it is the best original 80s fran you know uh slasher franchise because it hasn't done a bad film like it's done like three was fairly crap but yes. it's an amazing high level of quality for a slasher franchise and so yeah we do a whole day on chucky yeah that is, that is <laughs> Um, yes, Andrew is planning Law or Chucky, so that is on my agenda to see if I can get it sorted after we do Casablanca. I have a list of list of mountains this podcast has to climb, and that is like number two on the on the list. The, the well, I've got a suggestion well. for you. I have Sorry? a suggestion for you to do. Maybe next Halloween, Hellgate, nineteen eighty nine South African horror film that should be as famous as The Room when it comes to you know. Uh, hilariously bad films which people can get together and be communal and amused by it is okay. astounding <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a pitch that is, that is one hell of a pitch one hell gate of a pitch um what i will say uh for myself uh no i this is not one of the worst 100 movies i've ever seen i think it, it's very much it's low-hanging fruit i think because it's a movie about the internet because it was made in 2002 um like again it's, it's a movie that was, like, released on Labor Day weekend, which is basically telling you exactly what Warner Brothers thought of it. Um, the highest grossing movie to ever release on Labor Day weekend was last year's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and that was in the middle of a pandemic. But before that, the highest grossing movie to release on Labor Day weekend was Rob Zombie's Halloween, and I think it made only, like, $30 million as well. Um, but, like, this got an F rating from uh, cinema score audiences. I think it was, like, the seventh f rating in in the history of cinema score um so it, it just i think it kind of became like low-hanging fruit because it's very easy to point at this movie and point out how very very silly it is uh, and how absurd it is and how I, I think i think both diamanda and andrew kind of brought this up but the sense of like what they call quote-unquote the olds uh pointing at kids these days shaking their heads with their rock and roll and their hip hop and their internets um where it really does seem not only because the address is fear.com.com that nobody <laughs> working on this movie understands what the internet is or how it works just that they're afraid of it um but i i do think that there is some interesting stuff here which is more than i can say about some of the movies we've covered 
and hot take this wouldn't even be among like the 10 worst movies that i've watched this year uh including new releases so yeah take that as you will but the third question now having teed this up diamanda if listeners have not seen fear.com which at the moment is streaming on netflix untraceable is also streaming on netflix in case you want to have a bad internet movie streaming horror festival uh, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device no although watching uh fear.com on you know via an inch the internet is like nicely meta maybe Stephen dorf will climb out of your thing and kill you <laughs> uh, but um and andrew what about yourself um i'm I, I, like I guess if 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 you're kind of a horror sort of um, completionist and you want something kind of scary, I do think this is scary, genuinely. So I like I'm. It's difficult for me to recommend because I'm um, I'm not somebody who 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 who. <laughs> aside from Chucky, obviously, I don't. <laughs> by the way, Darren, I don't. See, I don't think I've seen a a, a single Chucky movie. I just find the idea of Chucky funny. I've not, <laughs> not even seen the TV show. Andrew will do this periodically where he'll be like, I have a strong opinion about something. I'm like, great, let's talk about it. It's like, by the way, I've never watched it. Um, <laughs> Some of our guests least, do that as well. Yeah, have you at least seen the Puppet Master films or Dolls or something like that? I think that got a bit Nazi uh, towards the end. Um, <laughs> The most Nazi um, of of major horror franchises. <laughs> yeah. I am thinking of the right franchise. I'm not. I'm not besmirching there, Puppet Master. Am I? There were several Puppet Master films dealing with the Nazis, but yeah. um, it's been a while since I watched them. I recall them killing Nazis more often than okay. not. Um, sorry, and- Andrew's just staring into middle distance. Um. Yeah. No. I'm. 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 I'm looking at my notes. The. Uh, yeah. No. It, it, it's. Um. I. I. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I suppose if, if people are going to listen to us talk about it, you don't necessarily need to watch it. Um, I don't think any of us enjoyed watching it. So no. perhaps if we did recommend it, it would be um, in, in poor taste. So no, <laughs> I, I guess I don't recommend watching it. We um, suffered and so should you. Yeah, actually, like watch it, um, uh, but on your own head be it. Um, <laughs> It's, it's, I, lo- I love that we are like um, spoiler alert for the movie I guess one of the characters in the movie who's like whatever you do what don't you go do? to fear duck <laughs> yeah yeah you, <laughs> you, you, you feel terrible about yourself don't do it don't do it and then immediately what does that person do they do it um, I just had a thought about the, the, the basic plot of fear.com is basically the sort of thing that would later on have it's basically a creepypasta or like yeah. an SCP type situation. Yeah. It's the sort of story that could have been generated organically by the internet and maybe become an interesting piece of art. Unfortunately, it was done beforehand by, you know, a bunch of complete wit. Well, I mean, that that's the thing. Again, this is a thing where there is that honest generational gap there at play where you have the same thing with Slenderman, who literally was a creepypasta. Yeah. Um, and like he gets then repurposed and it's because the only way that these people know how to make horror movies is the way that involves, I, you know, not to get too spoiler about this, but like ghosts and serial killers and stuff. It's like, yeah, we'll just put it into the meat grinder and turn it on and whatever comes out the other end will say is a hip modern movie about the horrors of the internet. And compare the, uh, the Slenderman film to Channel Zero, which was yes, the TV show, better. which... 
Yeah, it was much better. Although by the end, the series did tend to sort of a not resemble the storyline very much, uh, uh, and also b completely disintegrate into meaningless pap. But uh, the first episode of those ones are really, really solid. And if they managed to keep the energy across, you know, I think they might have, uh, they might be able to uh, work it out. You know, Channel Zero is still going. It's like there have been three of them. I think like there were four. Four. Okay, so I, I haven't caught up with the latest one. The, it was cancelled after Series 4. The maker wants to do more. Uh, I know there's four because I watched them all like a couple of weeks ago. I was I was, I was, I was house-sitting for someone and I brought my DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the only way, only way to watch them. They were on Shudder for a while, but I think they're off now as well. Yeah. Um, and for myself, yeah, no, I can't really recommend them in good faith or in good conscience to, to other people. Um, I think that, yeah, there's maybe some interesting stuff there if you are particularly interested in the subject matter that this is dealing with. If you're, like, writing an academic paper on the internet in horror movies, this is probably a good research material to have. Right. But everything that this does, like, other movies do better. You can get by watching, like, Seven and Ringu. Like, if you watch Seven and Ringu, you have a pretty good basis for Fear.com. It also... And Cairo. And Cairo, now that now that I know that that exists, which I, I will admit I have not... I had not heard of it before, and I didn't realize that Pulse was based on us, so... Um, but yeah, that, that makes sense. I will also say, this is one of those horror movies that is both, like, puritanical and purient, so I guess puritanical, I guess, is probably what you would describe it as, <laughs> where it's the thing where it's, like lecturing you the audience on your complicity in this horrible thing that it has decided to turn into a multi-million dollar movie in the hopes that you would buy a ticket to go and see so it doesn't ring entirely true the whole weird moral panic of it all it feels very much like it's again that kind of schlocky thing of trying to have its cake and eat it where it's it's showing you all these usually women's bodies being kind of like brutally butchered and kind of like tortured and all this sort of stuff and being like isn't this horrible but also like lingering on it in ways that are like yeah but don't you want to watch as well yeah it's Uh, kind of lascivious um yeah at at various points yeah Um, in a way that the worst of these movies i think the best of these movies like implicate the audience in ways that are actually clever and insightful whereas this just feels really cynical when it does that yeah like Uh, uh the classic example that is peeping tom yes yeah that is actually a really good example. Uh, and again, throughout horror cinema history as well. Like, um, All right, then, with that in mind, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. his own <laughs> this is where you get to <laughs> to talk about the movie in depth and where darren asks you so dear Amanda, what was this movie about for you well this movie primarily for me was about the feeling of utter sadness i have that poor stephen dorf who was so good you know as an up-and-comer in space truckers and I shot Andy Warhol and Blade. And then he suddenly ended up in a black hole of terrible films that lasted for a very long time. And Stephen Dorff, if you watch True Detective Series 3, that guy is short and he can do angry very well. And he's in really good shape. He should play Wolverine in the MCU. <laughs> well, I mean, if if he could just sit through Black Widow. Um, I remember that being one of the great nonsense uh, moral panics of the pandemic was Stephen Dorff has opinions on Black Widow. Did um, he? Last, yeah, oh, yeah, he did. 
Oh, he, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, Stephen Dorff. You were. I, we've seen some of the films you were in. I'm. You were in Alone in the Dark. I'm. The, maybe not um, having opinions on other films is a good idea. Oh yeah, no, no. Like all all the articles notably opened with like Fear.com um, <laughs> and Alone in the Dark actor Stephen Dorff. Um, but but like what I will say is that like what's interesting is he's talked about how like this dramatically recalibrated his career. And again, this is a movie that seems to have like pretty much scarred everybody involved in it. Like Natasha McAlone is in it as well. And she was coming off a relatively hot 90s run off the Truman Show, Ronan. Ronan. Where she kind of like emerged as like one of the the kind of women to watch. And then she's in this and it's just like, I am going to go star in BBC television movies for the rest of all time. Um, But yeah, Dorf has talked about how this specifically is one of the movies that like made him give up on being a leading man. Where he was like, look, if they're just going to offer me leading parts in movies like this, I would much rather be a guy who gives supporting performances in, say, Sofia Coppola movies. Which is kind of interesting. It's probably, I would argue, better for his career. Yeah. Um, like, I, I think that, like, it, this ends him as a leading man, I think. Or this he is, he is a good actor. He is a good actor and, you know, he was utterly, you know, wasted in this. Similar, you know, cops in this were just wasted in more ways than one, you know. <laughs> they were wasted at least three ways. You know, him and Combs, you know, they were, cl- you know, the characters were clearly drunk half the time. You know, they were wasted as actors and then, the, you know, they end up dead. So, you know, three <laughs> kinds of wasting and Combs should have played the villain and, and Stephen Dorff should have, I don't know, been in a better film. Hot take. Should Jeffrey Combs have played the villain or Udo Kier? Jeffrey Combs. Okay, really? Okay. Udo Kier is funny. He, he's, he's camp, he's sort of, Udo Kier is a 1950s style horror icon, like, you know, Vincent Price, that kind of one, who you can't take seriously, you know, in the modern day. He's just, he's funny and camp while being, doing horror stuff. While Combs, if you look at, you know, House on to Till, his Dr. Vanicut was genuinely a great horror creation. I mean, he already created, you know, um, Herbert West, which is one of the great evil doctors. And then Combs creates a whole other evil doctor, which is about as good. So Combs, he, I don't think he actually likes doing horror films very much, but he's so very good at it. Yeah, I mean, like, we, we should note, like, Malone's talked about being, like, hugely influenced by movies like, say, The Black Cat, like 1930s Hollywood movies like, say, Frankenstein, which is very obvious, again, that image of the doctor and the woman on the slab and the cutting into her, which comes up repeatedly in his movies as a kind of a fixation <laughs> yeah. almost. Like, the fact that, like, Rhea's playing, he's literally just called the doctor, um, but he's very much like, he's he's the mad scientist kind of figure. He does feel like he's escaped, I think, from a kind of a campy 50s movie, particularly the way that Rhea does it with the voice with the very soft very lilting voice very gentle very you know kind of a lot of the reviews kind of peg it as he's doing Hannibal Lecter or he's doing bargain basement Hannibal Lecter but I think he's more just doing you know kind of like 1950s kind of camp villain is that fair to say or is that unfair to say it sounds fair to say I- I'm just attached to the idea that Combs should have played the villain no 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 I I I I, I will defend um, Stephen Ray, I'm, I I think I feel the same way about Stephen Ray that that Diamanda does about <laughs> about Combs. Um, <laughs> I love that this this podcast apparently broken down into the Kier Ray Combs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I, I um, uh, you you could have um, gotten uh, Combs to to play like a a victim of torture. 
as well. He he doesn't mind spending his entire morning in 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 the make makeup um, uh, uh, like that's getting, right. Based, based yeah. on his Star Trek appearances, yes, the fact exactly. that he's like one of the along with JG Hertzler, one of the great Star Trek creature actors or alien actors or Iggy Pop. Who do you care? Wasn't he in Fear dot com? And that's why you're talking about him. Yes, he was. Yes, he's he's yeah. at the very start. He plays Polidiri. I, I love that it's already disappeared that much. The film made <laughs> yes. like that little of an impression. Um, yeah. The 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 opening the opening sequence of the movie where he goes to a subway station <laughs> that looks like no subway station that has ever existed, uh, and he finds a girl playing with like a creepy white ball, which again I think is a and again like it's very clear that Malone is somebody who loves horror movie history. He's like drawing on like the genre and it's kind of roots and stuff like the, the girl with the blonde hair the white dress and the white ball it's a frequent horror image from like 60s horrors and particularly like yeah. european 60 horrors like, yeah like the innocence and stuff like that yeah uh kill baby kill i think is mario baba and fellini used it i think in toby dammit uh in spirits of the dead as well like it's a very again like a lot of this stuff is very very specific the fact that the character played by kier is called polidiri uh, who was one of the writers who was like present at, you know, the famous seance uh, weekend where Frankenstein was conceived and written. I think Polidiri went on to write The Vampire, which is one of the first. He uh, co-wrote that with uh, with Byron. Byron wrote the first little bit and then Polidori, he uh, expanded upon it. I, 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 I did a lot of watching about that subject because I had to review Gothic a couple of, you know, a couple of years ago. So it's still percolating in my brain fresh polidori was was played by uh what do you call him uh alex winter in a film from the 80s called haunted summer and it features oh. vedic Barail from ds9 as byron philip anglim yeah and it's got what do you call her uh the borg queen as uh alex scridge yes as as what and uh, as mary shelley and laura dern as uh as as uh, as Claire, Claire, Claire Claremont. Okay. Oh, and Eric Stoltz is playing Shelley, but Percy Shelley. This is the most incredible cast. It, it does. It sounds like it's like they need a Breakfast Club poster for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the film's bad. It's okay, but it's pretty bad. But And the accents are hilarious. But yeah, it's worth watching just for the cast. I was saying, it, 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 it seems like such a kind of like um, rich... Um, uh, setting for a horror movie because I, I i believe it, it was was it was it the i think was it this uh summer after a very large volcano uh, volcano and that the sky was black essentially that yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. it was just darkness kind of um um, that that whole time, and they did, that they decided that they would write kind of like the scariest story, isn't it? Yeah, they the basically there was no summer that year because yeah. of kind of cash, and the the scream was was drawn around the same time, and you can see the this it's theorized that the sky and the painting the scream was actually not supposed to be a weird vision; it was actually how the sky looked at the time. Huh. But um, the it was very rainy while they were at Lake Geneva, and so they stayed in and they they read classic ghost stories from a book called Phantasmagoria, Anna. And uh, then they had a dare to write a ghost story to scare the other ones. And Frankenstein and then the vampire also grew out of that, which gave birth to modern vampire fiction. So 
probably the most important event in uh, the Western horror canon in world history, in, in history, I would say. It's all thanks to that volcano. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Always look on the bright side. Um, but like, and again, this is the bit from Ebert's review I kind of wanted to come back to. I put a pin in, right? Because we mentioned the fact that Maloney is kind of like hugely influenced by German expressionism, by like 1930s American horror, by Frankenstein in particular, and how you can see that imagery kind of playing through it. Um, Ebert, like, Ebert gives a pretty good defense of the movie's climax. This is a movie that cannot be taken seriously on the narrative level. But look at it. Just look at it. Where some of those bows sound deafening headphones in the theater or turn off the sound when you watch the dvd if the final 20 minutes had been produced by a german impressionist in the 1920s we'd be calling it a masterpiece all credit to director william malone cinematographer christian sebelt production designer jerome latour and art directors regime phrase and marcus wellersheim now do i recommend the film not for the majority of filmgoers who will listen to the dialogue and expect a plot and be angered by the film's <laughs> sins against logic. I do not even mention credibility. <laughs> but if you've read this far because you're intrigued, because you understand the kind of paradox I'm describing, then you might very well enjoy Fear.com. <laughs> and I kind of like re-watching. So I, I watched the movie in three increments over the course of earlier in the week. And before we came on, I watched it in one chunk. And part of me was like, yeah, I can kind of see that. Like it, it, it does have a mood to it and i think like it's kind of interesting that like we all the films we mentioned in discussing it are relevant i think you know obviously we mentioned like the internet horrors there's the resurgence of like snuff movies about snuff movies as well like eight millimeter the uh, joel schumacher film which came out i think in like 99 as well um but i do think there is something in there about like the weird uncanny like stage set design like the stage bound New York quality to it, which kind of reminds me a bit of we, we mentioned Kubrick earlier on, um, but that last one, Eyes Wide Shot where he like recreated New York in London because he refused to get on a plane to fly and film that in New York. So he's like, I will build a copy of New York in England and you will all come to me. And there is something kind to of- be fair. Kubrick was terrified of flying, and that's why he like he also did the same thing like with Vietnam in uh, in Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. The only time he left England in like the last fifty years of his life was to go to the Republic of Ireland to film uh, Barry Lyndon, but then the IRA threatened to bomb the production, and so he moved the entire production back to England, which cost the Irish government a lot of money. <laughs> Um, but like, I, I think there is something kind of interesting in the way in which this is like, this is very obviously like a sound stagey movie. Everything in this is a set pretty much. Um, like, and, and they're all kind of like sets that don't look quite right. They don't look like real places. And again, a lot of this is like, well, you know, Seven obviously did it better with its cityscape and all that sort of stuff. But there is a kind of an uncanny, unreal quality to say the inverted commas real world of this movie that kind of makes it interesting when it's a movie about cyberspace. Like it's a movie about quite literally a ghost in the machine, but it doesn't like the world that these characters inhabit doesn't seem any more real than the world inside a computer. And I kind of found that interesting watching. Well, I don't know. There, there is something cinematic about the old stale mill. And they, they have that car chase ending in a gruesome death in an abandoned <laughs> steel mill. A little bit like the, what's that movie, Robocop? 
That's yeah, the obligatory, obligatory Robocop, Robocop reference. <laughs> I should say, actually, there's also a line in a movie where Stephen Ray is like, you're dead. I killed you. <laughs> so they have a gratuitous um, Robocop reference. Robocop too. reference as well. Um, I, I did notice early on as well, there's a moment where like the second victim gets into the car smoking a cigarette and like his ashtray is full of cigarettes that are also like smoking. They're also still lit. And I would say that's inappropriate. I think that's I, inappropriate. I, I think it is. You have Sykes smoking in a workplace. He yeah. he has pre-rolled cigarettes because he's afraid of roaches. Um, he 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 keeps <laughs> corruption in the police force to himself because he's afraid of rats. Um, nice. Sorry. Um, I do. Have, by the way, like in terms of food waste, Sykes throws away the donuts. Did you know? Like that. The, sorry, there these, is sorry, food waste Diamanda, in the This movie. is just the nonsense we do in the podcast. This is the nonsense. This is, this is what there. we've discovered. Like every every movie on either of these lists has an obligatory RoboCop reference. It has inappropriate smoking, and it has food waste. There, those are yeah. the three elements that tie together there's, to make a movie deserving of a place on. There's also the moment. <laughs> so logically, our RoboCop ref- movie should be on the list, but it's not, even though it's entire. The entire thing is nothing but a RoboCop reference. <laughs> exactly. <Yep. laughs> there, there's also the moment in on, on the subject of food waste where Benny the cat uh, gives. Uh, it's Terry, isn't it? Um, she gives yes, her um, the Natasha McElones. She 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 gives her a mouse. And and uh, Natasha McElhone doesn't cook it and prepare it for Benny, so <laughs> like, she just throws it away. That's uh, that's food waste. I always think that if I had a uh, a pet and it gave me a dead animal, I'd be like, okay, you want me to butcher this uh, portion it <laughs> and make it into a meal for you? Cool. I'll just pull these sweaters off. On an unrelated note, we will be talking about Ratatouille in about five weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I think if I watch Fear.com again, I will try to keep in mind your your things about unreality and, you know, and expressionism and stuff. It sounds like I might be able to get more out of the film with that in mind. And, you know, so thank you for that. Um, well, I, I I don't want to convince you to watch. <laughs> thank it. Roger Ebert. Yeah, I, thank Roger Ebert first of all, and I also don't want to convince you to watch this again. I'm not making that strong an argument for it. Again, like that's I'm a big fan of um, of alternate takes on films. Like uh, I did a 10 minute video about in defense of Alexander Oliver Stone's film. Yes. which was basically think about of this as a film that was made using the cultural references of ancient Greece rather than Judeo-Christian ones that we're used to in films. And it makes much more sense. And a couple of people commented saying they can actually see that and they've watched it since and they, they agree with me. And so I'm perfectly happy to rewatch a film that, you know, that might that I might previously thought was bad with a different idea in mind and see if I can get something else out of it. Because, you know, you bring something to a film as you watch it. No, I do. I, like, I, I'm a big fan of, like, redemptive reading. The idea of, like, there is a way of looking at a movie that makes it make sense. There's a way in which you line it all up and it kind of makes sense. I don't think that even arguing for this as, like, a German <laughs> expressionist, unreality, hyper-real, 2000s kind of movie um, kind of makes that make sense. But I kind of, that's the lens through which I go, this is at least interesting to me. That yeah. sounds like a challenge now. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we're setting a challenge. Listeners, come up with I, your best way of watching Fear Dog. And, and I, I, I think in, in terms of, I doubt anyone is trying to defend the kind of plot of the movie. But I, I think I said that, first of all, a lot of horror movies are fairly far, far, far-fetched. I'm no, I'm no expert. But um, 
With How this. dare you, wretch, you mother... <laughs> I, I love, by the way, that Andrew's like, I have never watched a Chucky film, but I feel like I know him. I know, oh, I, I just think... I have to defend this film. Wreck Tumor, this film about a gigantic building-sized ass flying through a city, destroying it, while you got these two women like singing about it in the background, is entirely makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. I would say um, to defend maybe the the uh, plot or the concept. I guess like um, there is an idea of information being equivalent to energy. Yes. And the idea of energy being um, kind of uh, having like a spiritual dimension as well. Um, so it, 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 there, there, there's like kind of a few steps that you have to take. And it's difficult for, for you know, a New York police officer to, to, <laughs> to, 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 to believe this. But if, 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 if you're capable of taking that kind of like mystical jump, I don't think it's too uh, far-fetched. I, 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 I think it is possible if you're of a certain bent to um, to uh, suspend your disbelief uh, with, with this movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a movie with a lot of problems. Um, and I think that any attempt to diagnose that is going to be reductive. But I think for me, the, the issue isn't necessarily that that kind of like logical leap that you mentioned is too big. I think this is a movie that is doing far too much and isn't able to balance that and i think there's far far too much going on in fear.com and so much of it is competing with everything else that it ends up feeling a bit like a jumble like and if you want to be generous and if we want to kind of like over intellectualize it we can argue that it's maybe trying to capture the feeling of the internet that kind of a i think like bo burnham's everything all at once kind of feeling right and i think there are movies that can do that, that can like do that kind of like jarring tonal editing thing that kind of throws you off and is just so much stuff happening that it overwhelms your senses. I think yeah. like this year, for example, you had the Daniels directing Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is, you know, arguably the greatest movie about the internet ever made. But that's very hard to do. And being, you know, not being unfair to William Malone, I'm not sure he's capable of doing it. If you break down fear.com, the issue isn't that one of these plot threads doesn't make sense or one of them requires a major leap. It's that they're all completely insane <laughs> and none of them really fit together in, in an interesting way. Like, try to summarize the plot of this. Like we said, you know, you don't have to watch this to listen to the podcast. If you are listening and you haven't seen the movie, like, just talk through the plot of this movie and, and get a sense of how insane and jarring and all over the place it is. So there's a serial killer called The Doctor, played by Stephen Rhea. And what he does is he captures beautiful women and he tortures them and he streams their murders live online and people watch them. And obviously there's a police investigation in New York into that, except they haven't managed to find him yet. And that's been kind of bumped up to the FBI. So you're sitting there and you're going, okay, so this is going to be like a cyber thriller about catching a serial killer online. We're going to get lots of discussion about why they haven't managed to track him. Like, is he using DNSs? What's going on here? Is he rooting the signal through foreign countries? Is he outside the US? What exactly is the deal with this? Except no. No, 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 no. The movie's not about that at all, except tangentially. We keep coupling back to that. Uh, okay, so so what else is about? Oh, there's a cursed website. Uh, okay, and if you click on that website, you, you die 48 hours later. It's like, oh, okay. 
and the website is inhabited by a ghost. And it's like, oh, what? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The ghost is one of the victims of the doctor. And what happens is she's cursing people for going to a separate website from his, fear.com, uh, to basically, you know, curse them and kill them 48 hours afterwards. And then the cop who was investigating the doctor ends up investigating that case and discovers she was the first victim and then kind of works his way back to catching the doctor almost entirely by coincidence. And it's like, that's that's a lot of stuff going on. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. We haven't even started with the Ebola stuff because obviously Terry, Natasha McAlone's character, is a Department of Health official who gets drawn into it when bodies turn up with blood pouring from the eye sockets and people think it's Ebola, but it's not. And it's like, there is so much going on. Oh, here. yes, it's a COVID movie. Um, <laughs> like, again, that's like another sort of like a trope of... Of 250 movies where is that retroactively we've determined yeah. they're all about COVID but like I, I think like watching it that's that's the thing it's like Andrew like Andrew mentions like the leap, the leap and like one of the arguments I've read about like film media in general is that like as a rule and again this is obviously nonsense all rules are nonsense um, rules are just boundaries etc <laughs> that sounds like but, Darren like, that, that does sound like Darren. all, all I, rules I am, are nonsense all rules are nonsense baby Darren says as he hops on his motorbike and revs the engine uh, very loudly disturbing and breaking all sorts of noise ordinances rebel without yeah, no, a Darren's like I heard that you, you notice that the start of this story was I heard this rule and it's probably not true but I liked it because it's a rule that's a Darren <laughs> right there um and the argument is that, like, as a rule, you get one give me. When you're, when you're making a movie or you're making a TV show or you're writing a book, you get one conceptual leap from the audience, one leap of faith. Right. And they will follow you on that. But everything else has to flow either organically from that premise or within the accepted norms of reality. And, like, watching Fear.com, I thought that was very much, like, a problem for me is that it requires, like, 12 different leaps of faith simultaneously. Where it's yeah, like these people the, are having hallucinations, but also there's a ghost, but also there's a serial killer. Sorry, sorry. Oh yeah, you're what the I completely agree with you. But this is what's so interesting about the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to me, because um it's built on so many different films who have already got their own breaks from accepted reality. So what that means you by jamming them together, you can create something that is unique without having all the extra bullshit. And so you can come up with new kinds of stories without having them be incompetent, you know, incomprehensible messes like this. That, that, that I think, is ultimately the big benefit in storytelling in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It allows you to do new, new kinds of storylines. Like, arguably, they've not actually done that yet, but they can. Fair enough. And, and I think that with, like, Fear.com, it, it's not just a narrative issue. I think it's also... A tonal issue. Mm -hmm. And I think this is also reflected in, like, the weird subgenre grab bag that you see in the movie, where, like, Fear.com, it, it's, you know, it's kind of ostensibly a cyber thriller. But it's also a throwback to, you know, 1960s ghost stories with the girl bouncing the ball who pops up repeatedly. Uh, it's also a kind of a throwback to, you know, you know 1950s horrors. Like, it's, it's very telling that the Doctor is hiding out inside an old nuclear silo with the old, you know, with the line, the headline, the, the power of tomorrow. The fact that he's portrayed 
portrayed as like a 1930s kind of Victor Frankenstein thriller. The fact that, as as Andrew mentioned earlier, so much of the movie is told via video cameras and screens, feeling a little bit like the found footage thriller that was very popular at the same time. The fact that it's drawing so much from like 90s serial killer movies as well. The fact that it never really picks a lane. The fact that it's also obviously inspired by the late 90s kind of like resurrection of, of ghost story movies. We mentioned like The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, we mentioned Stir of Echoes. We mentioned Sixth Sense. We mentioned The Haunting as well. The, these traditional ghost stories as well. The fact that it's trying to have like one foot in every possible camp right. and those camps are like multifold means the film just stretches and doesn't really make sense or cohere it doesn't come together it doesn't really work as a, a singular movie and i, I kind of get why audiences reacted to it going what the hell is this yep um and i mean like that just to, to again to provide some some background context um on on fear.com as well we mentioned it was released like on labor day the fact that warner brothers kind of knew that they had a loser on their hands um this was the same year that Warner Brothers released uh, both Fear.com and The Adventures of Pluto Nash. And apparently, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and apparently the only reason that those movies got released was because they were financed by other companies and Warner Brothers had managed to convince those other companies to pay for the film's marketing expenses. So that's why the movies didn't go direct to DVD. They came from a company called Franchise Media, which had a CEO... Uh, Eli Samaya, who is described in articles that I've read about him as, and I quote, a dry cleaning and nightclub mogul. He's had a long term, he has a long term relationship with Warner Brothers where he's responsible for uh, not only this, Ballistics X versus Sever in the same year. Uh, two years earlier, he'd been responsible for, for both Battlefield Earth and Sylvester Stallone's Get Carter remake as well. When asked about the financial failure of his films, he replied, I don't know. I didn't know much about Hollywood when I started, he says, but I've been learning and nobody could learn everything in six years. He shouldn't feel too bad because like taste is something that you might never learn, you know, like no matter how long you spend at it, you, you just might have terrible taste and have no business making movies. <laughs> so like, you know, don't, 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 don't be too hard on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, he seems very likable from the quote, you know. It's, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, and in terms of just placing it again in context, because this is the million things the movie wants to be, it feels at once like it's a last gasp of like the big 90s serial killer boom. Like we mentioned movies like Seven, movies like, say, Science of the Lambs. This is the same year as Bloodwork, uh, the same year as Frailty, for example, as well. You know, recently you had... Well, Frailty was good. Uh, Frailty's McConaughey and Paxton. Paxton directed that, right? Am I, am I remember that correctly? Yeah. Um, yeah yeah that was really good like blood work is a clint eastwood movie so it's a solid like three stars um like it's it's competent starring jeff daniels um as well which is you know it's wait is blood work the one where he gets the heart transplant am i right i haven't i haven't seen blood work i didn't even hear of it before now so (laughs) this is a little bit of a hole in my knowledge Okay, well, there's one where Clint Eastwood plays a detective who gets a heart from a victim of serial killer and then has to track down the serial killer. Um, oh my god, that sounds like a terrible seventies exploitation. Oh, That's oh. like that should be from the same director. It's a thing with two heads. Um, Clint Eastwood is the man with one heart. Um, <laughs> that episode, uh, of the, this a Halloween episode of The Simpsons, where where Homer gets uh, uh, snakes to pay, hell to pay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, oh, hell to pay. 
Very good. Which is just phenomenal, like a really great <laughs> title. Um, but like it feels like it's kind of because we're getting again, we're going to reach the end of that serial killers. Like stop being a night, stop being an American boogeyman around about say two thousand and one for reasons that we don't need to go into on this podcast. All of a sudden, terrorists are like more of a concern for American pop culture. Yeah. Um, but it's okay because serial killers are making a comeback on streaming right now uh, with Dahmer and stuff like that. You mentioned the True Detective seasons as well. But it's also kind of weird because I was watching this and I was thinking, is this an early example of torture porn? Like in terms of as a horror, like taxonomy, is this yeah, like, a- sure, I would say no, because I disagree that torture porn uh, as, a, as a genre exists. OK, can I push you on that? Would, that, would you care to elaborate on that? Oh, I could totally do David Lynch oh. now and just say no. But... Yeah, no, no, I, I'm saying you no, elaborate on that. No. <laughs> but I am, I'm genuinely curious. I'm asking because I kind of want to, I, want, I would like you to expand on that if you want to. Well, pornography is generally understood as being a kind of, um, see, the, 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 okay, what's the difference between erotica and porn? Um, you know, the, the silly answer to that is one has subtitles. But um, I would say a more proper um, difference would be erotica has actually a plot. And so the sex is involved in the plot, like a a properly done plot. It's not just an excuse to get to the while porn. So porn, putting torture with pornography indicates that the plot is only there literally just so you can have extended sequences of violence. And even in the, the quote unquote worst of those films, that's not the case. You know, the Saw films, you've got an incredibly intricate like web of 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 plots and stuff in order to get to it. Yes. Like, it's even, like, like the, the Saw films become a weird soap opera at the end where people are like fighting over Jigsaw's legacy. Yeah, like I think for something to be torture porn, what you would need is say the much more something i don't think it exists because i i've never come across it before but if um it would have to be something that has an incredibly thin lack of storyline just to get to extended torture sequences maybe you could argue that something like the men behind the sun would count but even that has historical merit you know it's i i i just i don't think the 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 term belongs with what it's describing can you name can you name an an, an example darren of, of of something that is like undeniable torture porn okay well no not not by the the i think the argument the amount is making is very effective like it is a good yeah. argument um i kind of mostly just use it as a catch-all term to apply right. to a certain kind of horror um i agree that maybe the application of the word torture and the word porn is perhaps misleading and unfair, but it it I think it applies to a. I would use it to describe a subgenre where I would argue that I think like the Saul movies have their own thing going on in them. I th- I would describe some of them as torture porn, but I also don't think any of them are without merit. I also don't think that like say the Hostel. I think the Hostel movies are arguably among the most important like Bush era horror movies ever made. Um, I think that they're very like informative of like where the American psyche was at that moment in time. So I, I understand the reluctance around the term, but is it fair to, would you put the, would you put the movies that I mentioned in a class of their own, even if you wouldn't use the term torture porn to describe it, I guess, is what I would ask. No, in the same okay. way that I wouldn't put, uh, I don't, I don't believe in an elevated horror because they're doing basically the same thing that other, other horror films do just uh, to a slightly different extent and, and extremity. And, but it's still fundamentally the same thing. Uh, yeah, I I think we're we're on the record as uh, elevated horror skeptics. 
Yes, under we are. We are very much elevated horror we've, skeptics. We've, 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 uh, um, yeah, we've, t- we've pinned our, our colors to the mast. That we, we, uh, we, Andrew has very strong opinions on Hereditary and Midsummer, which he has definitely seen. Um, <laughs> no, but that, uh, I, 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 I've said already that I'm not a. Um, a fan of horror but i've i've recently become kind of in recent years become a fan of genre fiction so um of um uh spy uh novels with john carey and of fantasy novels with with terry pratchett i i like like i I, yeah it's it it's kind of um it's snobbery like to 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 draw kind of a distinction between literature and uh, genre fiction as if genre fiction can't be literary yeah um and yeah and that you 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 have to kind of brand it i guess as uh, elevated spy fiction maybe if you want to yeah get awards or recognition like in the early 90s the first time this you know ugly little subject you know reared its head at least one earliest one i'm i can recall uh when you had silence of the lambs like all the reviews were nominated for best picture they kept referring to it as a thriller even though no it's a horror film right <laughs> but they they couldn't call it a horror film because horror films were were low class because it it was just snobbery and that's but you know, eventually, you know, you couldn't get away with calling something like hereditary, uh, you know, a thriller. a thriller. So you have to come up with elevated horror. It's horror, but it's good. It's horror, but it's about issues. It's horror, but it has thoughts. Ooh, I can enjoy this horror. <laughs> exactly. I, see, this is where I worry. Like we're normally talking about fear.com, but I actually just want to continue this conversation for a little <laughs> while. So feel free at any point to say let's talk about fear.com. But I, what I find interesting about that is i do wonder like the elevated horror thing as well i think a lot of it some of it is imposed from within the community obviously i'm sorry from outside the community from like the critical community from people who are and again i think that's not an unfair characterization you're making which is darren engaging in a very delicate bit of wordplay but i think there is an element of (laughs) to take this seriously it has to be quote unquote more than just a horror film or whatever you know it has to be a social horror an elevated horror and that is obviously nonsense um right but i i do want if there is an element of like i think of signs of the lambs in particular uh, where there's like a pushback from the horror community itself where when you try to label that as a horror you get people going no it's a thriller same thing with jaws where it's like you say that's a horror movie and you get people no 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 that's 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 that's, that's a thriller is is there an element of like no jaws is a horror film it's a nature gone wild film it's like long weekend it's it's like the birds it's you know animal goes nuts and kills people that film that's an entire subgenre Technically, you got Nature Gone Wild films, which are a small subgenre from the seventies. They can be considered as a subcategory of horror or disaster film. But generally, yeah, I I think as well that um, there's a phenomenon where wherever there is a scene, there are kind of scenester gatekeepers, where 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 it's kind of like I'm part of the horror scene. I I watch mostly horror movies. And I decide what's what's a horror movie and what's not. Like similarly to today, like like I, I I had a lot of friends who were kind of um, London folk music scenesters, and when Mumford and Sons became very popular, they were just like you know, <laughs> screw those guys. <laughs> I, I I hate them. That's not that's not folk music. You know, where where uh, are are 
you know, that, that there was like a disapproval um of 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 it because it was a popular kind of a a um iteration of something that 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 uh, um that like friends of ours were trying to do i remember reading about there was a similar bust up in the 60s when bob dylan did an album yes. that had an electric music like electric guitar <laughs> exactly but whereas the the uh, the the, 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 the uh, torture porn thing I would view it basically as a counterpoint to the Elvited Horror one, where one is you've got these, you know, Elvited Horror is the snobs looking down, you know, basically saying this is acceptable horror for for us. The yeah. torture porn would be the same sort of thing, but looking at the more extreme end of horror, uh, basically pointing out what it thinks is the lowest class parts of horror and then trying to separate itself further from them. Okay. Like, I don't know if it lines up. As, uh, if it lines up timeline wise about the terms coming into use but it wouldn't surprise me if they came into use around the same time and it was basically the same people trying to further distance themselves from horror as a thing you know horror doing what horror does being you know graphic and you know horrifying and then they're they're like these ones i like are good the ones that are very much like this ones that i don't like are very bad and so they're separating them off further from them and the implicit moral judgment that comes with calling something both torture and porn do very bad things torture yeah. in, well, like in a very literal sense and porn in a moral majority sense i'm um, i'm, I'm gonna say i think um i think part of it is um the use of porn in a very loose sense um where which has become ubiquitous now where there's like food porn and house porn and furniture porn and it, where it's just a thing you know where yeah, where you're, where you're you look at a thing on your phone that isn't porn as if it were porn yeah <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> feeling bad looking at all the food pictures yeah yeah, it's it's you're looking at the thing, and you're but you're placing the sex with something else, and that's why it's pornography. I really think the term porn should be used as a non-judgmental term to describe things that are either very short and have literally no plot, and it's just the thing that you're showing off, right. whether it's sex or whether it's food or whatever or torture, and uh, or films that are longer that have no plot but is just an excuse to show these things off because. As a, we don't have a term for that kind of film, that kind of thing, and it would be useful for people writing about it, making things, you know, if we did have one, so you could tell what kind of film it is. So if they wanted to make it a more morally neutral term that is just describes that kind of thing, I think that would be good. But I don't think that's what what the, I don't think that's what the term is used as. No. sorry. Plus, plus, like, what 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 do we call like if we're using the word food porn? Um, what do we call porn where a, a, a guy comes to deliver a pizza and then he opens the pizza and his penis is in the middle of the box? Is, is that you not You know, Andrew, porn? I can say that this question's never really occurred to me. I've never really been in a situation where I had to ask that question. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so I, I, I honestly don't have an answer ready to hand for you. Um, that might be a subcategory of sploshing, which I believe is where food is thrown on people during porn. Thank but yes. I, I'm not an expert in sploshing. <laughs> you say yes as if that was the right answer. Congratulations, you passed the test. <laughs> I feel very left out of this conversation. <laughs> it's like it was a test. One of you passed. It wasn't Darren. So um, this is what happens whenever you watch thousands of really random films and you 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 read every issue of Bizarre magazine for about 15 years. You know what ter- you know of terms like sploshing. 
I feel um, like but, I heard that term like in the last 48 hours and that I'm hearing it again. I don't know where I heard that. You're going to die in a splodging related accident. Spl- splodging is different, Darren. It's disgusting. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, but okay, to bring it back to the discussion. So ignoring, the, again, the everything that we just said, but now ignoring the kind of pejorative uh, weight of the term torture porn um would it uh, this is where i'm just i'm trying to get around in terms of like contextualizing this in terms of like a larger aesthetic in american horror cinema like is it fair to say just ignore forget the word torture porn then but is it is it fair to say that there was a shift in like the kinds of horror the aesthetic of horror the leaning on say uh body horror the depiction of like body horror the depiction of in like wounds and the infliction of wounds and the suffering of protagonists in a very physical visceral graphic uh realistic kind of way i guess would probably be how i would describe it in american cinema around say this time around say 2002 through say 2010 like is is that shift there if we don't want to apply the term torture porn to it but like you know in films like say you know we mentioned the hostel movies for example the the hills of eyes remakes for example all that sort of stuff the platinum dunes movies the the more recent chainsaw massacre movies is like i think i see that there but i'm i'm a layman do you is is that a fair thing for me to observe is that like reasonable do you think it's possible um but i would say that it might may well have come in with the mpaa being more uh, loosening up on what on what previously yeah. would have been cut because films in the eighties were cut to pieces generally. So um, I know that around that time there was a change in the the leadership of the MPAA. Like the original head, like Jack Valente, stood down around that time. So maybe it liberalized and and there and these new filmmakers, you know, took advantage of the, of the new liberalism. But I don't think it was a I don't think a group of people, you know, made a deliberate, you know, change in how they were doing things. It's just that they got away with more. I think right. from 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 the eighties to now, the note was less nudity, more gore. Although there's some there's some proper um, here. There's quite a lot like of nudity, gory movies from the eighties, but the, but but that they're kind of um, absurd. Yeah, I mean, like this is this is the thing where we get into the like again. This is this is and again, this is a tangent upon a tangent upon a tangent. But I'm actually quite enjoying this. So feel free to to tell us to shut up if if this is going on too <laughs> long. But like, it is kind of interesting where you talk about things like say the emergence of the superhero genre, and people talk about like cultural factors, and they talk about like cultural factors that influenced it. But like one of the big arguments is that like technologically, you just reached a point where you could actually use computer generated effects to like demonstrate superpowers in a way that were more, you know, verisimilitudious, that were more realistic, that were more convincing, for lack of a better word, on screen. Yeah. And like, I, it's kind of interesting that like you seem to be making an argument for something perhaps similar here with the depiction of like graphic body violence uh, that I, I think in my limited experience, but as like somebody who watches a lot of mainstream movies became a lot more common around this time, which may be down to, I think you mentioned obviously the changing of the MPAA guard, but something that Andrew's pointing out there, which is like in the eighties, when you did have that stuff, it tended to be, you know, and again, just the, I suspect it was like the way in which it was shot, the way in which the props were manufactured and like the materials to hand, it was a lot less convincing. It was, it had a kind of a hyper real quality to it. I think a lot of gore in the eighties. It was no less uh, frightening or like No, no, no. Either. Like, I mean, like yeah. all of that stop motion stuff. 
Um, well, the thing is still a masterpiece. Like the thing is absolutely. still a nightmare. It's amazing. Anyway, sorry, but like that part of me is now, now you've kind of put me onto that, which is an odd thing to be talking about when we talk about Fear.com. But the idea that there may have been this kind of quiet revolution in horror filmmaking that may not have been, you know, a lot of people say like it was nine eleven. Um, or it was like the depiction of torture, the found footage, all that sort of stuff that maybe played into it and kind of shaped it. But I think it's kind of interesting to suggest what you're saying here, that maybe it was just the loosening of the MPAA and what Andrew kind of suggested there, which is like the way in which body, the changing of bodies, the way in which you could realize those effects kind of shifted in a way that made them more, maybe visceral isn't the word, realistic, convincing. Where it's it's like, probably it's probably multifactorial. Yeah. You know, there's probably a bunch of different things that uh, will only become uh, work. Up, you know, it, it'll take time for you to work out exactly all the factors. But uh, and the further you get away from it, you, the probably the clearer the image will be. The but another factor that could be in there is the internet, simply because people could go to things like Rotten.com, and so suddenly the the filmmakers previously maybe would have. Um, censored themselves a little bit but then whenever the but then when rotten dot come, come around they're saying we they can see this stuff in real life and it's real well oh oh we can use that for research or you know people are looking at this in real life there's no problem with seeing it in a film so it's probably a bunch of different factors jammed together yeah, but i mean like i was quite taken watching fear.com as a movie from like 2002 and it it feeling like it kind of lingered a little bit on things like the, the cutting into bodies and like the blood and the eyes and all this sort of stuff in a way that I think like the last time I saw a movie that kind of surprised me like that was uh, when we watched the Lindsay Lohan movie. The, the um, what's Andrew, what's the name of it? Um, can't remember. Oh, the one where where there's two of her where she swaps. Oh, gosh. I know I who killed I, me. I, I know I who know, killed me. Yeah, I think I that know was who it, killed right? me. Yeah, I because I hadn't seen that until we covered it for this podcast. And it was like, I think I know what this movie is. And it turns out to be that, plus also surprisingly graphic on-screen violence. I was quite surprised at how graphic Fear.com was. And I know I know you said that it's, it's not really because you've seen so much more. But if around this time, what, what, you know, do you have a memory of like horrors around this time and whether or not they were more graphic, less graphic, were they becoming more graphic? Was, was it becoming more mainstream? Was I, I, I don't think it was. Okay. It's, it, it's, it is possible though, you know, that I I'm wrong though. Like the graphic horror films were always there. Like yeah. I forget there's a film like, for instance, film, Japanese film made in, in the late sixties, I believe called then in the realm of the senses. I think it's called In the Realm of the Senses. It's basically, it's based on a real story about this woman who was having an affair with this guy and then she she drugs and tortures him and murders him. And that's the entire film is them in doing this. It is the sort of thing that if it was made now would be called torture porn because it literally, you know, she castrates the guy and then they, they both, eat his, both eat his balls, if I remember correctly. Like this film, it, it, it had to be made in France you know, because the Japanese censors wouldn't allow it to be made. And, you know, there's, it's, it's, you know, it's been around for like decades. And I, I think it was, and so this kind of filmmaking was always there. And yeah. it's just getting more, perhaps it was limited to more art house areas before that. Like, although my biggest memory of watching in the realm of the senses was, you know, how <laughs> sense of boredom. <laughs> that was yeah. the realm that you were in. I mean, the, yeah, it's it's like art and kind of um, 
cutting edge um philosophy and kind of all all of these kind of um what, what whatever is the avant-garde tends to kind of prefigure um mainstream culture what then becomes mainstream in the sense that that that, that like what you're talking about there sounds a lot like audition yeah um i guess yeah yeah so where where like aud- aud- audition is kind of mainstream in a sense because like lots of um kind of you know teenage children and uh, uh, maybe kind of like college age kids of the time would would have would have would have been hearing about it um or anyone i think interested in 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 horror movies and certainly in japanese horror but that that that, that was a big kind of a a a, a hit um, that a lot of people saw it it was like a a, a cult hit if 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 um, if that makes any sense. Um, all right. I think that about then wraps it up. Unless there's anything else we want to talk about with regards to fear.com. Is there anything in either of your notes that we haven't discussed about the movie that you think merits a uh, conversation or kind of just even reference? No, not really. I think we've uh, <laughs> pretty exhaustively explored it. I did. I did like the ball turns into an egg and it's a roach egg. I feel like that was very kind of um, the kind of stuff that happens in a fever trip um that well that is of, what malone has said that he was aiming for he was aiming for the logic of a nightmare yeah. and again the film is filled with sequences where characters kind of just wake up where something terrible happens and they just wake up and there's no explanation for how or why they got out of that terrible situation and there's some like jarring edits but it feels like um if you're being um uh, generous you you could say like oh that was the intention because often that's, that's it, what they were going for. Well, yeah, like in a fever trip, you you kind of all of a sudden come back to reality. Um, reality. And like, say, um, half an hour has passed, um, but it felt like a few seconds. Or, yeah. And I will say, actually, again, this is kind of the weird uncanny quality of like recreating New York on sound stages um, in, in the middle of nowhere um, or on the far side of the world, basically. Um, but the in Luxembourg, but the idea that you have, again, the fact that so many of the actors are like German or European of, you know, of German or, or kind of like European extraction. So you have this weird like sense of actors trying American accents, whether convincingly or not, um, like Jezane uh, Kukrowski, who's playing Jeannie Richardson, for example. You have, I think, Amelia Curtis, who is a Swedish actor playing Denise, the kind of technician as well. You have the victim being tortured. I think she's a German actor as well. Um, and yeah, so it's it's kind of it's this weird unreality, hyper reality, which I find fascinating, but also the way in which all of the characters in this movie own apartments that are absolutely massive because they're built on sound stages <laughs> but also look com- like with the exception of denise all of them look terrible they go to like they look like they've got these massive apartments that presumably cost millions and millions of dollars and they're just like flooded or they're filled with waste or all this sort of like nonsense lying around. it's a kind of i really like that again very pulpy very hyper real, very like kind of, you know, Dark City, The Matrix, kind of that style of filmmaking that kind of like went out of fashion, um, which is something I do. I do like about the movie for all its myriad, myriad problems. Sorry, Andrew. What 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 did people think of the Ramstein, the Sona um, uh, kind of music video in the in the Wilton Theater where where um, we're kind of um, 
Well, you know, he's 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 when recorded kind of like her. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like, like I was as- confused at the choice of song because, if I remember right, Sona is about a boxer. It's the the, the song was written for like a German boxer. Like as for him to come out, you know, too, mm. and you know the sauna is the sun, and that was like his nickname, and so I was like, I I'm sure this makes more sense if you don't have the backstory to the song, right, right. But no, knowing that kind of spoiled it for you. Yeah, sometimes uh, you know, knowing too much for a subject can can <laughs> up stuff. <laughs> and and what about and- you, Darren? I do not know anything about Ramstein, so I didn't know anything about the song. I This is the sequence where he attacks her and drugs her. After he goes to visit in her the at the theater box office. Yeah, and he's like, I uh, I, I, I am auditioning. Uh, I think you'd be perfect. You should just uh, come to this theater on this creepy row. Uh, don't tell anybody. Uh, here's my business card. Uh, I'm aware I make people uncomfortable. Um, which is kind of amazing and terrible and again it's the kind of thing where it feels like a dream it doesn't make any sense whatsoever um even though this is normally supposed to be taking place in the real world i quite liked the strobe light effect again the kind of like the silhouette thing where she's pulled the fire alarm yeah you see them struggle in silhouette as the kind of lights pulse in the background i thought that was very effective dramatically again you you mentioned the influence of german expressionism or whatever on the film um Outside of that, eh, I don't know. I don't really think I have a. Did kind it of a feel like a um, a music video? Because I I, I I think it did. It, it, um, oh. Anyway, no, I I just thought that. And the other thing I was going to say is that it's a film about film, but only only a little. In the sense that you were saying later, where it kind of like takes a lot of things and doesn't do much with them. Yeah. Like the idea that that he's. Um, he and others are kind of taking around camcorders and um, watching and lens and media yeah. reality. Well, like that's that's the thing. And I think, you know, Giamonda, to bring it back to like her talking about like the one third of a good movie that William Malone has made, uh, yeah. which is like one third of the house on Haunted Hill, like that sequence with the camcorder where it's a mediated mm-hmm. reality. Like he's yeah. fast, like Malone is fascinated by this idea of mediated reality where to the point where like this, the spoiler zone for all movies in the house on Haunted Hill. It's revealed that the house is alive, right? But not only is the house alive, the house is connected to the internet. And the house Mm -hmm. is able to travel through the internet and creep into a computer database and change the five names on a random, like, uh, list to get invited to a party that the house is hosting. Like, they have an actual (laughs) conversation. No, Andrew, I'm not making this up. They have an actual conversation with, like, Chris Kattan, where he's like, this place has an energy, man. And you can feel it. It's in the walls. It's in the floors and it's like could it be in the phone lines he's like yeah man i guess it's everywhere it's like could it be in the internet and it's like what are you talking about it's like somebody changed the names on that invitation and i think it was the house but hilariously it didn't think to do enough research to realize that one of the people who was there is not actually a blood relative of a survivor and was actually (laughs) adopted so i I laughed at that i did actually laugh at that moment where he's like (laughs) i'm adopted (laughs) <laughs> the, but have you seen the sequel to the House Not to Till remake? No, I have not. Okay, no. It get also it. has Jeffrey Rush in it as well, right? That's right, Jeffrey no. Combs. Jeffrey Combs. Yes, sorry. but get it, but only get it on Blu-ray. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. The, the DVD, v- the DVD version is the director's cut. The Blu-ray version is the choose-your-own-adventure version. What? It's a cho- you can stop the <laughs> film and you you get to choose what the characters do. It is great fun it's like the 
the third, I think it was third Final Destination film had a cut like that as well. You know, oh, wow. <laughs> some films did this. It was this was bef- long before Black Mirror did it with Bandersnatch. It is great fun. But so, yeah, Return to House <laughs> on Undertale, Hill, but get the Blu-ray version. You can actually end the film like like 20 minutes in. I uh, love choose your own adventure. I I I, I was once I, I once tried to write a poem, like a like an epic poem <laughs> that was a choose your own adventure. <laughs> it was like in yambic pentameter, and each That's kind great. of one it said it like if did it turn to page two, <laughs> and yeah. Um, I was considering uh, doing a choose your own adventure review of the of of Return to House and Odd Detail, but I realized how much extra work it is for absolutely no reason. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Yeah. My, my personal like I remember Bandersnatch, and I remember the thing I really love about that is that like if you make a good choice, the thing is over in twenty minutes. So it's like we would like we would like you to deliver this project in like a third of the time on a third of the budget of what you've estimated, and if you go. Uh, no, the movie just ends. Like there, there's, there's nothing else. Your, your character doesn't have a nervous breakdown. Nobody dies. Um, it all just works out perfectly. But late capitalism is like, no, you can't, can't, can't work. Sorry. The Final Destination movie that has it, it's the one in the theme park that starts off in the theme park. And you can actually stop the characters from getting on the ride. So you end the film three minutes in. <laughs> all right. But the reason I bring it up outside of the idea of a haunted house with an internet connection being a deadly weapon in a goofy sort of way. And the obvious connection about like, what if ghosts use the internet? I do think that there's kind of an interesting through line you can kind of chart there between, say, the house on Haunted Hill and Fear.com, which is like the idea, you know, the, the common idea in ghost stories of like the stone tape, the idea that if you do something horrible on a place, it leaves a mark and that mark lasts throughout history. And those horrible things echo through ghosts and trauma, whether psychological or literal or physical or whatever. The idea that, you know, something terrible happened in the house on Haunted Hill. So the house on Haunted Hill now carries all the scars and the weight and the gravity of that. And the idea, you know, at the turn of the millennium that like we're moving as a culture increasingly online and all this stuff is happening online. That conversation, you know, that that very that heavy handed monologue the doctor has about the idea that, you know, birth, death, commerce, sex, all that stuff is happening now online. And the idea of like, well, if you take these things out of physical space and put them in cyberspace, is it possible for cyberspace to have that same indelible mark? Do the bloodstains kind of soak into it there? You know, the, the, you know, to put it goofily, the idea of is the stone tape now a kind of a stone modem? And like, it, it's a it's a, ostensibly a silly idea because it's taking the gothic horror and applying it to the internet age. But I, I honestly do think it's kind of like, it's an interesting philosophical question to ask about things like ghost stories. Um, and obviously like it ties back into really boring mundane stuff that fascinates me as a lawyer over things like internet crime. Like how do we prosecute? How do we police the internet when it's not a real place? I don't know. I, I, I Maybe maybe that stuff's just nonsense. I don't know. No, oh, well, the, the Matrix is taught us that, like, ghosts are just kind of like, what is it, parts Bitches. of old code? Yeah. Yeah. Bitches. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, then. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something. It could be something they're enjoying at the Aha! moment. Something. I know, we're here. Um, so we, we finally got to the end. Um, but... <laughs> 
It could be something related to the movie, something unrelated to the movie, just something that brings you joy, something you're enjoying in this kind of these troubled times. And to give uh, Diamanda a chance to think about it, which I don't think she needs, uh, but mm-hmm. I'm going to give it anyway. I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, I'll give a few um, recommendations that I think I've given before. We mentioned Chris Catan, who's referenced in Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a, a, a movie that you could reasonably um, enjoy at um, Halloween time. I think in some of the bigger theatres, it'll still be there. Um, and it is very, very good. I, I've said it before, but um, it's one of the best movies I've seen in a very long time. And I'm not a, um, a stand for Peele, Jordan Peele. You don't see the appeal? <laughs> like I I, 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 love his comedy, and I enjoyed all of his movies. I just did didn't um, uh, see what all the fuss was about. You know, I, I thought they were good. I mean, when, but when I, we did organize like, the, the Get Out episode, you just weren't there. Um, <laughs> my to be fair, died. there was a funeral in the family. <laughs> there was a legitimate. <laughs> <excuse>. <laughs> yeah. so I, no, but I, I, I think my opinion of Get Out was that it, it was kind of like a, a, a comedy that wasn't funny and a horror that wasn't scary. Um and and <laughs> and like it's it's and Chucky is your guy, it's right? It's a clever kind of a satire, but I but it, but it, uh, the point was that it didn't deliver on genre expectations, and and Jordan Peele can meet those expectations. But um, anyway, um, I thought I thought Nope was fantastic. We met um, Natasha McElhone. Uh, we mentioned Ronan. Um, I do think that is a good movie. It's not a complete masterpiece or anything, but it's enjoyable. It's got a lot of fun uh, set pieces and some some quite good people in it. Um, you've got like Sean Reno and um, Sean Bean's in there uh, as well. Sean Bean, yeah, 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 um, and of course like Robert De Niro. Uh, in terms of body horror, um, I love Society. I think it's great. It's a, that's on it's, both the BFI and Criterion at the moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, society is amazing. I, I I saw it on BFI. And I was like, this movie is incredible. It's so good. <laughs> um, and um, and I guess if 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 I want to recommend another thing, uh, which I often do around this time of year, um, I like with Gorley and Rust, um, which is a podcast where they talk about horror movies, these horror kind of horror franchises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they 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 recently talked about Chucky. Which I'm going to wait to listen to until I actually watch Chucky. Thing with that podcast is a lot of the time I have no contacts because I haven't seen like <laughs> all of the Jason movies or I haven't seen. Uh, um, okay, we are we are doing then. Yeah. We are doing lore Chucky. Then. That, is, that is committed. I will figure out. I will. I'll make that happen. That will be something that will happen next year. We, we after we do we, Casablanca, we have to do it for a charity that isn't ashamed to be associated with us, especially <laughs> with for something called lore Chucky. Okay. <laughs> like I mean, I can see us being pulled on the BBC and getting a very stern interview. It's like, did you guys did you know anything about Anglo Irish? It's more education required, do you think? Yeah, <laughs> and and there's funny. a there's a UEFA probe for some reason. <laughs> Although we're not, <laughs> we're not at all. Uh, well, in what's what's your you sorry your your Europa cinemas are are launching a probe. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, so yeah, all right, all right. Things I'd recommend. Um, and so, uh, Diamanda, what about yourself? What would you recommend? What are you enjoying for the moment, related to or unrelated to the movie? Well, this isn't something I'm enjoying at the moment, but it's something I'm planning on doing a video about. But it's just something that's so interesting. I think everyone should hear about it. 
It's a film that came out in 2017 called The Evil Within. Now, this film was the brainchild of um, Andrew Getty, who was the grandson of uh, the person that Christopher Plummer played in All the Money in the World. And so he's a rich guy. He suffered from, he was a drug addict, you know, for many, many years. He was also suffered from terrible, debilitating nightmares. And he decided to make a film based on those things, on his nightmares. Without any uh, background in filmmaking, he turned part of his house into a studio and stuff, and he funded it himself. Um, it is basically, imagine the room in the, sa- in the same way that it's outsider art, but the person has authentic talent. Oh. And... It is a horror film. It's just, it's just full of, of fascinating and nightmarish images. The guy, clearly he has no uh, way of how to make a, traditionally make a film, but his visuals work. He was just trying to recreate his nightmares. And it is wow. such a striking piece of work. The st- stars Sean Patrick Flaherty, uh, Dina Meyer. Um, Michael Berryman's in there as well. Yes, Michael Berryman. And the main character is called Frederick uh, Kolar, something like that. I, I, I don't think I've seen him in very much. But he gives a performance that is phenomenal. This guy, he's uh, he's playing this character who is, you know, he's, he's special needs. But also he's playing him while being possessed by a malevolent spirit. And he's also playing himself as if it, as if it, when he wasn't special needs. Like he's playing three different versions of the same guy. And he's doing a spectacular job. This guy deserves a much bigger career. And um, the, the film, it finally came out in 2017 after 15 years in production because Getty wow. kept editing it and re-editing it and refilming new stuff. And finally he died. And so one of his friends finished the, the edit and released it. And it is, uh, it is a, an extremely interesting piece of work. Wow, uh, that's the evil within. So it's it's yes. 2017. Is it available? Not the video game. Not the video game, and it is available on DVD. Uh, I believe it's probably streaming in a couple of different places. It's it's not very difficult to find. Oh, okay, okay. Because just when you mentioned it as like outsider art, kind of like a project for Andrew Getty and something that had to be restored, I was kind of like, this feels like the kind of thing that only exists in like the closet of like five people in the world. No, no, it is easily found. Uh, but I would think it's an absolutely great example of cinematic outsider art because film outsider art tends to be terrible. Think Birdemic, yeah, you know stuff like that, and you know it's there to be laughed at. This is an example of someone doing it and it coming out well. Generally, it's not perfect. I mean, there's elements that are definitely very weak, but the visuals. It this this guy had a definite talent for visuals, and you know he. And the how he created them, I'm not even sure how he created some of the visuals he did because he did not use the typical filmmaking tricks. He invented everything from the ground up. Wow, okay. He even invented his own like animatronics and stuff for the film, like for limited scenes and stuff. It's like, it is it is fascinating. That's incredible. Um, that, that sounds well worth, well worth seeking out. Um, in, is there anything else you'd recommend or just that? Uh, sticking with outsider art, uh, there's a great documentary called In the Realms of the Unreal, which is about this, it's a documentary about this outsider art piece of a book. This guy, he, uh, lived in the, like the, in the, in Chicago, inner city Chicago, he was a janitor. And whenever he was, you know, taken to hospital, like in his old age, you know, basically he was dying. His landlord went into his house and found this book he'd been working on which is basically his version of the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings. And it's all, he's 
done collage and stuff to, to to do artwork for it. It is thousands of pages long about this epic sort of fantasy thing, and it is it is it is a insane, but b fascinating. You know that, that he did this with no training uh, and no with very little idea of what to do. Like give you an idea of how his thought processes. Another project he worked on was meant to be an autobiography. But he got bored partway through and decided to make it about a sentient tornado called Sweetie Pie. <laughs> so you know, this guy, he's incredibly creative, and he's not working on the on typical wavelengths. I'm not entire. I, I like. I don't know if he was Spectrum or what, but his work is fascinating. I would love to see an animated adaptation of like his of of, of his epic. of his book. Yeah, it it could be. You'd have to do a lot of uh, you'd have to do editing. a lot of uh, editing and changing because a lot of the stuff is not really feasible. Uh, if you watch the documentary, you'll be able to work out what. But it's it is a fascinating documentary, and I believe there's a copy on YouTube. Okay, um, what's the name of that again? In the realms of the unreal. In the realms of the unreal. All right, perfect. Um, and in terms of recommendations uh, for myself, very quickly, this is going out this weekend live. So I guess I would recommend uh, Rosalind. It's streaming on Disney+. Plus. It is a rom-com uh, from, is it Karen Main, the writer of Always Child, the director of Yes, God, Yes. It is very worth seeking out. Uh, it is not a horror film, though. So I will give a, a horror film recommendation, which is something I saw in Criterion, um, which I had a really good time with. It's an 80s horror. It is The Hidden starring Kyle MacLachlan. Um, and I just... Oh, yeah. It, I just had such a good time with it. I was amazed. I, <laughs> I went in knowing absolutely nothing about it. It is about a... It's about basically contagious hedonism in 1980s Los Angeles, in which a police officer is partnered with an FBI agent played by Kyle MacLachlan, who's a little bit eccentric and perhaps may remind you of another iconic eccentric FBI agent played by Kyle MacLachlan just a couple of years later. I had a really, really, really tremendous time with that, and I would wholeheartedly kind of recommend that and seek it out. I also rewatched The Blob um, and I rewatched Near Dark, Catherine Bigelow's kind of uh, one of her early films. I think her first solo directorial film. I had a really, really, really good time with that. Um, all right. Was that a 50s blob or 80s blob? 80s blob. Um, yeah. Like wonderfully graphic and like anti-authoritarian and like full of all that kind of like hyper real body horror that Andrew kind of mentioned, which is just amazing. And the one where it turns out like, okay, no, I won't, I won't mention spoilers for it, but it's like it has um, Matt, no, not Matt Dillon, um... Who's Matt Dillon's brother? Matt Dillon's brother is Kevin Dillon. Kevin Dillon playing like a 50s motorcycle punk. It's just great. It's just really, really great. <laughs> and uh, and just two two more recommendations that are more closely tied to the movie we talked about today. Back at the start of the conversation, Diamanda kind of mentioned uh, the internet horror as a genre and the fact that very little of it has been done uh, well. I would single out a movie from this year, which I, I really, really liked, which is We're All Going to the World's Fair. Uh, it's a very much it's very much an internet horror. I really enjoyed it. It is easy enough to find online. You can find it at Voodoo, various other places as well. You can buy it legally, Google Play, etc. Uh, if you want an internet horror that is done really well and understands what quote unquote the kids are up to these days, unquote, uh, really, really check that out. It's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. And the other recommendation is something a bit older. Because I was watching Fear.com and the particulars of the movie reminded me a lot of the late 90s television show Millennium from Chris Carter, who's responsible for the X-Files, in particular the second season of that, where, like, the climax of that season has a viral outbreak, which is very similar to the idea of the viral outbreak that 
promotes the start of this. But the plot of this episode reminds me a lot of is it Michael J. Perry's uh, wonderful uh, The Mikado, in which the Zodiac Killer basically goes online and you have a very similar setup to what's happening with the Doctor. The only difference is that while Fear.com is terrible... Uh, the Mikado is great. In fact, the second season of Millennium, overseen by uh, Glenn Morgan and James Wong, is one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite television seasons of all time. Particularly one of my long television seasons. So I would wholeheartedly recommend checking that out. Not enough people have. Uh, not enough people can. It's very difficult to find. But if you can find the second season of Millennium, uh, it's one of my favorite things in, in media, just in general. Uh, well worth your time. And, and the Mikado in particular, in, in terms of Fear.com as well, right down to the fact the killer's like taking place in a theatre. He's using a theatre to stage his kind of streaming or whatever. Uh, anyway, with that in mind, if listeners are looking for a bit more Diamanda in their lives, where can they find you? Watch out, watch up to. Uh, if you look up Diamanda Hagen on YouTube, you can find me there or you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> uh, those are the two main places to find me. Or you can go to my Patreon if you want to, like, you know... Uh, you know, support my show, uh, patreon.com slash Hagen. I'm very boring with my, you know, choice of names on things, just Hagen. <laughs> They're very consistent, though. It's good theming. Um, we have people <laughs> on here who have to, like, spell their Twitter things. And it's like, yeah, I didn't think about that when I, when I was like, I didn't think about how often I'd have to tell people and point people towards it. It's nice to have. And if they can't spell Hagen, they can look at the, you know, I'm pretty sure you'll have it in the information. We here. will have it in the show notes. We'll include links to all those. We'll include links to the, the Twitter, <laughs> we'll include links to the YouTube, we'll include links to the Patreon as well. You can check all of that stuff out there as well. Um, all right we'll be back next week we're continuing our spooky halloween coverage uh we're going spooky. to be spooky i know i'm amazed that we waited this long to do funny voices in a movie with with steven <laughs> ria doing what he was doing um <laughs> <laughs> but we will be back next week we'll be continuing our halloween spooky coverage um the fantastic uh, dr bernice murphy the wonderful joey kyo will be joining us to talk about donnie darko uh, and then the following week, they'll be joining us to talk about S. Darko, both of which are horror movies, perhaps in very different ways. Uh, we're <laughs> really, really looking forward to that. But thank you so much, Diamanda, for taking the time and for like this. Con- I had a really good time with this conversation. I know it was a bit wild, a bit kind of all over the place. But thank you for taking the time. It was a pleasure. Oh, I, I was so happy to come. Uh, it's been ages since I've done a podcast. This is a, this is a lot of fun. If you want me back again, just ask. Absolutely. We'll, we'll take we'll it. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll definitely take you up on that. Thank you so much, Diamond. Thank you.